0: Welcome in to the best in true crime podcasting. This is True Crime Tuesday. I'm your host, Tim Dennis. As I've told you folks in the past, I'm a little obsessed right now with crime fiction. And one of the guys I'm obsessed with is our guest today, Todd Goldberg, who, let's just face it, guys, he's got to be one of the kings of crime fiction writing. He is, man, want to talk about a brilliant mind. This man has a brilliant mind and has a brilliant book out there right now called Gangsters Don't Die. Let me tell you a little bit about Todd Goldberg. If you don't know about him, first of all, I don't know what rock you're living under. But Todd Goldberg is the New York Times bestselling author of 14 books of fiction, including the acclaimed Gangsterland Quartet. It includes Gangsterland, Gangster Nation, The Low Desert, Gangster Stories, and Gangsters Don't Die, which is a book we're talking about today, which were named finalist for the Hammett Prize, the International Thriller of the Year Award, the Strand Critics Award, and the Reading the West Award, and have been named Southwest Book of the Year. He's also the author of the standalone novels The House of Secrets, which he co-authored with Brad Meltzer, Living Dead Girl, a finalist for the Los Angeles Times Book Prize, and Fake Liar Cheat, the acclaimed story collections, uh, Other Resort Cities, and Simplify, which won the Other Voices Book Prize. was a finalist for the Southern California Booksellers Association Award for Fiction. And five books in the popular Burn Notice series, which I'm sure you're aware of, of course, with the television show as well that was all about Burn Notice and, and about the books. Uh, three times a finalist for the Scribe Award. His books have been published in a dozen languages and around the world. In addition to his three volumes of collected stories, Todd's short fiction has appeared in a number of magazines, journals, and and anthologies including Las Vegas Noir, Palm Springs Noir, and Best American Mysteries and Suspense as nonfiction and criticism appears regularly in newspapers, magazines, and anthologies including most recently in the Los Angeles Times, USA Today, Alta, and Best American Essays for his body of work. Todd has won five Nevada Press Association Awards and was honored with the Silver Pen Award from the Nevada Writers Hall of Fame. In addition to all the work on the page, Todd was also the co-host of the podcast Literary Disco, along with Julia Pistel and Ryder Strong, which was named a top podcast by The Washington Post, The Guardian, Mashable, and even Good Housekeeping I'm going to get some tips from him today on how to do a good podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome in (laughs) to True Crime Tuesday, Todd Goldberg. Thanks for coming back on the program, Todd. I got to tell you, I had an incredible time with you last time. I've really been looking forward to getting you back on here, so I want to thank you for coming back.
1: Well, I am so happy to be back, and after hearing my own bio, I feel like maybe I should i a little higher with some of these shows that I'm on. I'm I'm pretty damn impressive. My God, I know, man.
0: <laughs> I know, man. You're cleaning up on life, that's for sure. Uh, I, I gotta say, is there ever a bad day in the Todd Goldberg universe? That's that's uh, what I gotta find
1: well, out. First of all, he, I mean, I had a bad day this week, Tim. As you know, I'm an Oakland A's fan, and all uh, right they the uh, the news came out that Major League Baseball personally took a shot against me and approved their move to Las Vegas. Which uh, it was not a great day. Did I? Did I put on a jersey, a hat, and throw a ball in the air and sob for the memory of Jose Canseco, who's not dead? I did. And I was like, "Where's Walt Weiss when we need him?" Right, right.
0: Uh, Got to pour one out for the Bash Brothers. That's for sure. One
1: out, that yeah. get that on a shirt, we could make a million dollars. Pour one out for the Bash Brothers. That's right. That's right.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, it is a sad day in in Oakland. I think for for Major League Baseball in its entirety, we talked for the show, and I really do believe it. I'm going to say, "F Major League Baseball." Right now, it's been nothing about money for for the last few decades. They tried to contract my twins at one time. Um, right. they, they're just, uh, they're a horrible, horrible organization. There's a reason why, and, and keep in mind, I'm a baseball fan. You know, I sit outside on my front porch with my chipmunks and I, I listen to twins baseball all every day, all day during baseball season. But the fact of the matter is, is they're, they're a money grubbing organization.
1: Well, it, it turns out to. that in general, professional sports is not run by humanitarians
0: as it should be. <laughs> the Dalai Lama should be commissioner.
1: <laughs> but professional baseball itself does seem to be uh, of the major American sports. I mean, the NFL seems like it's actually run by the mob, but major league <laughs> baseball seems like it's just run by like a really sort of shitty McDonald's franchise owner. Who's just like, uh, ah, everything's a dollar more today. Everything's a dollar 50 more today. Yeah. Yeah. But as an A's fan, you know, so I grew up in the Bay area and the A's were just part of the identity growing up in the East Bay, like this hard scrabble, facial hair covered team that won despite it all. You know, they were really part of the culture of uh, of the Bay Area. But more importantly for me as a kid, I'm profoundly colorblind. And their green and gold uniforms really stood out for me. I could really see them. Oh, yeah. And so I I think that's part of the reason why I became an A's fan versus a Giants fan because I really can't see the color red and they they would wear red and white. and so just like white and white and gray to me. but the the forest green, oh my God, like that was my color. I could see it. Um, but I get so much tied into them, man. It's just so depressing. Um, but I, I the, here's the thing that I, I I think about sometimes. It's like, well, maybe I just again, maybe it's like their shirts. I I don't go to many ball games in person because I don't live in Oakland anymore. I get up there maybe once or twice every couple of years to see a game. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, if I just am watching them on TV or listening to them on the radio, does it really matter what city they're in? Maybe not. And also, as a 52-year-old man, I'm aware that I'm putting a lot of emotion and weight Onto what uh, a couple 23-year-old guys do on a daily basis. <laughs> guys I wouldn't let park my car if I pulled up to the Valley <laughs> Like, so you're not 25. You can't park my car. What are you doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, the rational part of my mind is, like, I spend a lot of time as a sports fan rooting for children to, uh, <laughs> to, to help me. Like, I was watching the UCLA-USC football game this past weekend, and I'm a UCLA guy and I was screaming at the quarterback, like made better decisions. I'm like, I am screaming at a nineteen year old. Like if I did this <laughs> to, to in make public decisions, people would think I'm nuts. <laughs> <laughs> like, of course he makes bad decisions. He's nineteen. Right,
0: right. He he probably tonight or the that night after the game is gonna make more bad decisions. Like Yeah, you know. like
1: if I had been on TV in my free time when I was nineteen, number one, I'd be in prison.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, same here. Yeah, I probably would have made so many bad decisions. I yeah. would have ruined my life. Yeah,
1: exactly, exactly. Yeah. All wish to say that's why I write crime fiction, so that way I don't have to put myself physically on display <laughs> on a nightly basis for the the uh, the judgment of adult men. <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, that. Uh, I
0: don't see that even remains to be seen. I, I mean, there's, there's some stuff in, in, gangsters don't die. That may make people judge you twice here, Todd. I mean, there's,
1: well, that's, true. There's, that's some, true.
0: there's some juicy stuff in this book, my friend there. There's it's good though. It's a good book. I, I, I have to tip my cap to you. There's, there's some really, really good stuff in this book. And we're going to, we're going to run down a little bit. Spoiler free. Of course, we're going to
1: of course run of course. down
0: quite a bit about this book. Um, and we'll jump into it in a minute here. I, I just I want to wrap up the A's talk here for a second, okay. and I want to ask you the one question that's this. I know there's a little bit of rage on your part, but will <laughs> a you bit. a little bit? Will you still though go out to Vegas and that special time of year where twilight starts to fade on baseball and football starts? And will you do the A's Raiders doubleheader and and go see both teams and call it a day?
1: Well, in order to see the Raiders I'd have to sell my kidney. Those tickets are like 1500 bucks a pop. True. And I'm not sure if I want to spend 1500 bucks to watch someone lose 36 to 12. <laughs> um, however, I do have a very good friend who is director of operations for the Las Vegas Golden Knights. Oh, yeah. And I've gone to see hockey in Vegas and had an amazing time. Okay. Um, and and more importantly, free drinks because of my, of my friend. Um, oh. So I absolutely will go up to Vegas and see a, a, an A's game. Like I, I'm upset about all of this, but the other side of me is like, it's a three and a half hour drive from my house in Palm Springs to Vegas. Mm-hmm. And I can, I can go see a ball game in Vegas and not have to go stay in San Francisco and spend a million dollars. You know, so that side of it i am sure i will still root for them because i am not going i'm not going to root for the dodgers i'm not going to root for the angels right right root the dodgers or the angels like ugh, i give it it's against every fabric of my being as a as a bay area native the, the idea of rooting for the dodgers is like Hey, you know what? Why don't we uh, cut off our fingers and eat them as uh, as small chicken tenders? No, I'm not gonna <laughs> do it. It's against nature. I'm not deep frying my own fingers. I'm not rooting for the fucking Dodgers. Oh, pardon me. <laughs> no, I'm not rooting for the Dodgers.
0: It's it's raw emotion here, Todd. You could say it, Go right? Ahead. Yeah, yeah.
1: It, I'm 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 very close to the edge. That's very right. close.
0: I was gonna say it's like opening up a can of elbow, grilling it up, and calling it right. filet mignon. It's not the same. <laughs> right not
1: the same that's right and and you know the thing about fandom i'm i'm actually sort of interested in this and i've read up a bunch on it cuz i'm interested in my own my own psychopathy um <laughs> like fandom really starts for the most part when you are really young like you're yeah. you're trying to identify with a group and that i always identified with the a's is odd because when i was a kid they were not good so the a's have always had periods of being really good and then really really bad for long periods of time and so when I became cognizant of them, so like 1977, I was six, I started to watch them. They they started to to go to seed at that point. <laughs> and they weren't really good again until Billy Martin showed up a few years later. Um, but like to identify with a scrappy underdog team from a, a a town that's, you know, viewed less than its older brother, San Francisco, like that appealed to me. <laughs> and that doesn't have that same appeal in Las Vegas. Las Vegas are just entertainment, but... I'll get past it.
0: Yeah, yeah. That, eventually, yeah. It part of the thing about getting older is is you realize it. There's nothing that lays in permanence. Everything is so. That was a
1: great point. Yeah. Yes. Everything except for except for your uh, colonoscopy appointment. It's always that, out there. Oh
0: god, that, that's <laughs> always looming in the background.
1: It's, it's always there, <laughs> waiting for you. That's right.
0: Those <laughs> those cold hands and those latex covered. Yeah. jolly appointments are always <laughs> happy audience yeah yeah, we did yeah the minute we said colonoscopy they all fled um, alright we'll get on to
1: happier true crime right there my that, friend that is a
0: true crime because something's been burgled and it's not fun um, <laughs> we should probably get on to gangsters shouldn't we Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Speaking of Las Vegas, uh, we take a little trip to Las Vegas, uh, via Palm Springs, uh, in your book, Gangsters Don't Die. Uh, again, the, uh, I guess you could say this is your, I don't want to say this is your return of the Jedi of this, uh, this, this particular Gangsterland series, but this is kind of it. This is kind of the, uh, the apex. This is the climax. This is it. This is the... The end. The end. Uh, how did yeah. you? How did you feel about this as you were writing it? Did you? Did you take a big sigh of relief? Did you say, "Hey, this is it." This? Did you plow through this, or was this one where you sat back and enjoyed the process as you were writing this book?
1: Well, so I, I, I should note that. So it was a long time between this book and the previous novel. So I wrote. I wrote. Gangsterland. Gangsterland came out in 2014. Mm-hmm. Gangster Nation came out in 20. Seventeen, low desert came out in 2021 and then this came out in 2023. And so it's been six years since the last Gangsterland novel. And the reason for that is that I was working on an adaptation of the TV for TV for several years. And so I didn't want to write the last novel. If the TV show was going to be on the air because mm-hmm. I didn't want to spoil it. And so I wrote the low desert, the gangster stories book in between to sort of expand the universe out so even though it seems like for readers that maybe i was taking some time in between i've been constantly working in this universe the entire time um because we i had a deal with amazon to turn the books into a tv show um they ended up turning it around during the pandemic but we're gonna sell it again shortly to to some great people um i can't tell you now i'd have to kill you um but (laughs) So I've been working constantly with this character this entire time, and so when I finally sat down to write this book to, to finish off the series, um, at first it was hard because I in, my mind space was not in the last book. My mind space was really still at the beginning because of what we've been doing for the, the TV show. But once I got into it, once I sat down and realized like this is what I, this is the end. I really have to come and stick the landing. It was a lot of fun to write, Um, but it was also very um, emotional and nostalgic for me because I started working with this character in 2008. I had written a short story originally called Mitzvah that was in an anthology called Las Vegas Noir. And um, that that had started this whole process off. So it's really been 15 years that I've been writing this character. And so by the time I got to the end, which I won't spoil for you, but the the title does reveal a few things. Um, I was, I was feeling really like, Oh God, like I'm coming to a a juncture point of my life and my career with this character. And by the last pages of the book, I was, I was teary eyed. Um, I wasn't expecting it, but I I was really teary eyed. It was, it was, um, it was amazing for me, but this character, you know, has, has changed my life. And I think I'll always probably be associated with them.
0: Yeah. It's interesting. You say that you're teary eyed because when we, when we talk about creations and things we create, I, I don't think if you're a creative person, you realize where the emotion comes from, but when you're on the outside looking in and you, you talk about, you know, oh, how can someone get so attached to something like that? Can you walk, walk people in our audience through that? What is it about a creation that you give birth to that it hits you on the inside? What is it that causes that attachment?
1: Well, all these characters live inside my head this entire time. I mean, the difference between a crazy person on the sidewalk and a novelist is, you know, a book deal. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> you know, we, we've all got voices in our heads that are screaming to get out. And so I've been writing this character and having him living in my head and sort of cataloging his observations all of this time. And I mean, Rabbi David Cohen slash Sal Cooperteen, the main character of these books, is not all that different for me personality wise. Yeah. Um I'm not a violent person, but God I'd like to be. Um, <laughs> and um so you know, having this outlet of a character who's who shares some things in my personality has been a lot of fun but it's this entire world around it. It's his wife, it's his child, it's all these other things. And I've constructed these vast lives in my mind. And so they're just as real to me in my head as people I know and I love because I have to give them that dimension. It's I think it's hard to conceptualize if you don't actually create art. Um, because maybe if you're an accountant, you don't You don't stare at an Excel spreadsheet and think, ah, that's my baby. You know, (laughs) that's, that's, I love that drop down menu like that, that I did that. And that was great. But, you know, to try to convey real emotion and empathy out of a font face on a page requires me as the creator of these things to, you know, to dig deep and, and find emotion. And that, that emotion all comes from. A real place it might be one thing on the page but in my mind it's coming from somewhere else so that i can conjure what that feels like and so all of that is personal work um, you can't you can't subtract a person out of the creative process
0: so in your mind and in your heart when you create one of these characters when do you know when it's time to bump one off when is it time to get rid of them because obviously there is a connection you've been their voice you've said their piece You've developed them to a point when when do you pull the trigger, so to speak?
1: you know Donald Westlake once said, um, he gave me a great piece of advice. I just dropped a name there. did you see that?
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I, I asked him, you know, how do you know a story is over? So many years ago I might we might have talked about this the first time I was on the show, but many years ago, I got to spend the day with Donald Westlake, which was it's like you know spending the day with Superman yep and um, I asked him, you know how do you how do you know when a story is done? And he said, "I know a story is done when the reader could write the next page." And it seems like a very simple piece of advice, right? Mm-hmm. But it's actually sort of profound. It's like when all of the mystery is gone, then the reader could figure out what happens next. And I really apply that to characters too that need to get shot.
3: <laughs> it's like
1: when when the reader could predict what they're going to do next, or when the reader um, it realizes like oh the main character be stupid to let this guy live well then that's when they've got to go sometimes I'll I'll let a character live even though um because people make bad decisions but the the thing that's I think unique about these gangster books is that in every single scene in which Sal Cupertine slash Rabbi David Cohen appears there's a threat in that in every single scene that he's going to kill the person that he's with it is it both a subtextual threat and sometimes an Express But in every single scene, you have to worry that he's going to kill the person he's talking to. And having that run through all of these books really gives it a tension that when he finally does kill someone, you know, they got it coming um, because you feel it all the way through. in this book, you know, because it's the concluding volume of everything, I have to tie up a lot of loose threads, although at least some threads dangling. Um, it's not even always about killing it's it's sometimes it's about letting someone go because letting someone live is a worse fate for them than yeah death. yeah um and so these are things that i think about sometimes as i'm writing and also i mean this is the this is the problem term about like writing these books and then going to trader joe's it's like oh i gotta i'm writing this book and now i need to go buy some yogurt and then you're at trader joe's and someone cuts you off to to grab the potato salad in front of you and you think i'm gonna put you in that freezer
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, it, and then you're like how many different ways could i put you in that freezer
1: and then you're like yeah hmm. it's, a, it's a real problem it's a, it's a real yeah. problem for me to, to be able to turn that hitman off or you know like I'll, I'll finish writing for the day and i'll i'll come and i'll sit in my living room and my wife be like hey you want to watch some tv and we'll watch the property brothers or something and i'll be like if they don't make that door work i'm gonna go over there and i'm gonna rip the Property Brothers fucking eyes out. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So I realize when you're in the writing process it's hard to hard to turn it off, but when you're between projects, I mean obviously you turn it off, right? It's it's right. not something that stays with you twenty-four seven.
1: Well, I mean, this is the thing, is like every character I've ever written still still holds a piece of my brain space. So, you know, like I wrote I wrote all those burn notice books a million years ago. Yep. And You know now because of that. Whenever I walk into a room, I look around and I'm like, "What can I turn into a bomb if I needed to in this room?" (laughs) Because there's still a little bit of Michael Weston in me. It's like, all right, well, if things go sideways, I might need to turn this light into a into a weapon. What would I use? Which is crazy. Like I shouldn't think like that, but. It's hard to turn off something that you train your brain to do for any number of years, right? I wish I wish I had trained myself to like exercise every single day. That would have been a better thing for me to train myself to do. But instead I'm like, well, how can I turn anything in this room into a weapon? <laughs> that was that's not that's not normal and it's not good, but it's bought me this house that I live in. Uh,
3: I was
0: gonna say you'd make a hell of a Harlequin romance if the lead had to make a vibrator <laughs> or something. That would be uh that would be amazing. Um, <laughs> I, I just can't see, I, I could just see the, the building, uh, the building of that deal. Um, <laughs> now see, I lost my next question. Uh, I was just busy in your mind seeing how that lead would construct that, um, to me. And, and by the way, we are going to, we are going to talk in, in the, after the break about this amazing sequence that you have in the book where, uh, Reverend I'm sorry, not Reverend, but Rabbi Cohen, um, Sal Cupertine actually constructs a bomb that absolutely blows my mind. There's, there's a burn notice crossover here somewhere where I think there really is your, your, your worlds collided somewhere in there and, and, and some amazing stuff happens. Um, When it comes to this book in particular, when it comes to, to gangsters don't die, the opening sequence Threw me for a loop, and in that you went back into time with mm-hmm. with um, with Sal, and it sets up the the book for the rest of the for the rest of our our journey. In that, you you give a, a look into the psyche of Sal a little bit, and then coincidentally, you set us up to get to know his son. Right and that the sins of the father get passed down to the son. Not to give too many spoilers here, but but you you're setting up. I think um, what's a good way of putting this? aside? you're setting us up for to see that. Really, is it nature or nurture? Is it genetics? Is it how how is it that we continue family lines? Is that a good way of
1: putting right. it? I, I mean, it's sort of also generational PTSD in a way. There you go. There you yeah. go yeah and and it's not it's not a spoiler really because uh, it so the opening chapter of the book is actually a short story that appeared in my book the low desert called despair and (laughs) I I wrote it as the prologue but I realized at the time oh this is a standalone short story and it is the last day of Sal Cupertine's father's life and so in the books we know that Sal Cupertine's father falls off or gets pushed off of the IBM building in Chicago in front of Sal and he's a a very young kid and now we find out why um and it's because he was trying to get out of the life and was you know trying to escape and his cousin found him out and essentially was going to have him killed instead of opting to be killed he jumps out the window on the 52nd floor of the IBM building and goes splat in front of Sal. All of this is information that we know from the previous books, mm-hmm. but we've never actually seen the scene itself. And, I've, and you've never seen any of this from Sal's father's point of view, nor seen Sal as a kid. But what I wanted to show was that essentially there was a life for Sal Teen before that moment and then a life after that moment. And seeing his father go out of the IBM building and hit the ground in front of him turned him partially into this man that he became because he was he had to be so desensitized to death or else you'd forever be in that moment um and so it turns out that that's you know it, it it's something that he ends up sharing with his own son um and you you find out essentially through the course of this book that all the Cupertine men are are bent in a in a really bad way as it relates to violence but also as it relates to family and um how how the cooper men respond when the people that they love are put into danger and that's a huge part of of this book is the relationship between um sal's wife jennifer and her son william as they're in um as they're in hiding and what happens when bad things happen to jennifer and how the son reacts to those things um but i like this idea of sort of generational ptsd because it's a real thing you know like that's I I mean, this is the thing that I've been feeling a lot lately as a, as a Jewish person whose family escaped from Ukraine in 1919. Like when that war started in Ukraine, 18 months ago, however long it's been, Mm -hmm. and it was being fought in the same place that my family had escaped from in 1919. And they're showing these villages, man, I felt like I had been there. I felt like I, I felt like I had, I felt like I had escaped that place. Yeah. And then on October 7th, when um, Hamas killed, all the Jews in Israel, well, not all the Jews, but a lot of Jews in Israel, um, I again felt like this sort of generational ache um, that comes from being, um, you know, an oppressed group historically. Um, So that's a real thing, but it it doesn't have to be about a large group. It can be familial. PTSD is a a real thing that is passed on in in genetic code. I mean, it's why... You know we're scared of saber-toothed tigers (laughs) yeah yeah. oh hey one of those ate one of us (laughs) we should be scared of that right um you know it's it's um it's a it's a big part of darwinism so anyway um so yeah i wanted to write about all these things it's i mean it's weighty shit for crime novel right but i think because of the kinds of novels i've written in the past with these books where there's a huge aspect of religion that comes into play and about faith and about nature versus nurture and all these things i can get away with it in a way that i think perhaps a lot of crime novels can't
0: right the brilliant i want to say i don't want to use a a bad term here but in the wrestling world they call it a brilliant gimmick which is the Mm. the disguise of being a hitman who decides he's going to hide under the disguise of being a rabbi Right now, I know you've covered this in other interviews. Recap for us for our audience: where that comes from? Why? <laughs> why hide under the guise of a rabbi?
1: So, the so in the first book, um, Sal Cuperstein kills four FBI agents and essentially is sold to another crime family to put him in hiding, and he's sold to a crime family in Las Vegas where the Italian mob boss is married to a Jewish woman whose father, this sounds complicated, whose father is a rabbi, but it's all just a large um, criminal organization where they're laundering bodies through the cemetery, um, a Jewish cemetery. And in order to do that, you need to have a rabbi that's on the take. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I had this idea of like, oh, well, I'll tell you actually where it all came from, which is a weird thing. So this was when I had to write the short story in 2008, I was I had no idea what, what I was going to write about, and I was charged with writing about the neighborhood of Summerlin, which is where I had lived in Las Vegas for a few years. Um, but I was living here in Palm Springs where I live now, and I was stopped at a red light. And I was thinking, man, I'm going to have to give those people the money back because I have no ideas. And there's a very old Native American cemetery not far from the um, airport in Palm Springs. And I've I've lived in Palm Springs most of my life outside of the first 14 years. when I was in Northern California. And I'd never seen anyone walk out of the cemetery before. And so I'm, I'm stopped at this red light and I see someone walk out of the cemetery and I was like, what, like, they're not still burying bodies in there. Like who's who's walking out of there? And then I had the thought, you know, if you, if I wanted to get away with a murder, what I'd do is I'd kill someone and I'd bury them in an old cemetery. And then I was like, wait, 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 (laughs) there's something there. I was like, "All right, how would I make? How can I make money from this? Oh, cemeteries run by the mob. Oh, the the mob is burying bodies for other crime families. Oh, how how can I even make this bigger? Oh, they're also selling body parts. All this happened in the space of a red light, wow. which is sometimes how it happens. It's just like all of a sudden things start firing, and and there you have it. By the time the light turned green, I had." A Jewish, I knew it was a Jewish cemetery because they don't embalm at Jewish cemeteries. Mm -hmm. And so therefore the bodies would disintegrate very quickly. So that way if anyone came looking there, there's nothing there. Um, and so I was like, oh, perfect. And then the only way to make this work is not have the rabbi be Jewish because then it's a bigger con and it's, it's absurd on its face. It's absurd, but I was like, this is absurd. It's funny. And i can make it work and if i can do these things i'll have written a book no one else has ever written that's and amazing. now here we are 15 years later talking about
3: it
0: that's amazing i mean just the the parts you put together put them in motion it's mind-blowing and, and when you read the series it's just mind-blowing it's it's completely mind-blowing thank you and 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 not only unique, but just the way that you've put this together. And, and when people read it, they go, it's so crazy. It works. It works. And, and, and that, how, how a, a police organization would even be able to track it
1: would be hard. It would be extremely hard. Yeah. Yeah. And that was the other thing is that, so I wanted it to, I wanted to have a police procedural aspect to it, or actually an FBI procedural aspect to it. And I had to have that be believable that they wouldn't get caught. And the only way to do that is to, is to layer something in confidentiality and synagogues and churches and cemeteries, like these are places that are layered in legal confidentiality where there is no expectation that you can go somewhere and talk to someone about the things that they've seen or done. And I love this idea that if you have a corrupt rabbi or priest and they're getting information from people, that it's still just because they're corrupt doesn't mean it's not covered by the laws of confidentiality. Like you can be a corrupt priest or corrupt rabbi and laws of confidentiality still apply to you. And so I was like, this is something I can really abuse. (laughs) <laughs> and that's, that's the bad side of me. I mean, so I'm, I'm, I'm writing another book right now that came to me in a, I won't, I won't spoil it, but it came to me because I, my, my nephew works at a law firm and he told me about this very odd aspect of of law firms about safe deposit boxes, of law firms. And I was like, you shouldn't have told me that. <laughs> You shouldn't have told me that information because I'm going to make a million dollars and you're not going to get any of it. There
0: you go. But, but you know, it's funny because it's just an inkling of information that you can take and blow up and put it into an amazing idea.
1: Yeah, but I mean, like, that's that's what great storytelling does. Not that I, I'm comparing myself to the greatest storytellers of all time, but, um, like, when you think of... <clears throat> when you think of the Wizard of Oz, for instance, right? Yeah, yeah. We all imagine like a hurricane sweeping us away, right? It's just like it's a childhood fantasy. Oh, I'll get swept away by a tornado. But you know, it's it's Dahl. doll who's like you get swept away into a land of munchkins and an evil (laughs) witch and all these things. Mm -hmm. Like that's that's that ability I think that artists have, which is to take simple fantasy. And build a world around it, but I think that's what singers do. It's what it's what um, painters do. It's what all artists do. I mean, it's what you do on on your show on a daily basis, weaving stories out of you know true crime or, or anything else, or just this conversation itself.
0: True, very true. I say, what Todd? Let's have, let's take our break here. When we come back, I want to talk about the dangerous aspects of having a hitman as a rabbi, and who gets affected by that. The collateral damage of what happens when you put a hitman in a rabbi's real role because there are some very, very dangerous aspects to that and how it affects people's lives. Yes. We'll talk about that when we come back and one particular life that those two occupations affect and it's one member of law enforcement, a woman by the name of Christy and how it affects her life. Also, when we come back, we'll talk about Sal Cupertine slash Rabbi David Cohen and the pitfalls he has to negotiate around in this book. He's in a mess. He's in a huge mess and the mess that's left on his doorstep as he's trying to figure out how he's going to get back with his wife and son. they've been put into protective custody and we'll, Talk to Todd about why and how he's going to reunite with them. They have a different perspective than he has. We'll find out the story behind that as well. This is a wonderful book, folks. It just is absolutely, it's it's from cover to cover. You're not going to want to put it down. It's a wonderful book. Gangsters Don't Die. We've got a link to it in the description of this program. Pick up a copy of it during the break. When we come back, more with Todd Goldberg. Gangsters Don't Die right here. On True Crime Tuesday. Welcome back to the best in true crime podcasting. This is True Crime Tuesday. I'm your host Tim Dennis. Our guest is author Todd Goldberg. One of the best of the best out there, folks. Let's face it. Five.
1: Top 5. Top f- top, five.
0: top 5. Let's go top. top five. Let's go top 3.
1: Me, Biggie, Tupac, Nas, Eminem.
0: Were we talking rappers or authors? I I,
1: Oh, I thought you said rappers. Oh sorry. Okay.
0: Okay. 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 Yeah. One of the best top five rappers of all time, Todd Goldberg, is on the program. Uh gangsters don't die. Well, two out of that list did. Um just saying.
1: Uh one would then question whether or not they're really gangsters. That's true. The wonder.
0: I suppose you could say one of them question whether he's even dead. Um, he may be. He may be at a Dairy Queen in Kalamazoo, or on a, oh, or in Cuba.
1: Tupac, if you're listening, let us know if you're, if yeah. you're really dead. Yeah,
0: if you would, please email the show timatdarknessradio. Um We'd like to know. Uh, we'd like to be. And if if you. If you are, Kefi D is going up on charges that he doesn't yeah, deserve. He's, yeah, he's got
1: some, yeah, homeboy's got some problems. If you're alive, <laughs> let him know.
0: <laughs> yeah, please. We'd like to, we'd like to spring him as soon as possible if it, that's the keep deal. Keep your
1: head up also. That's, yeah, yeah, that's, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we love you, Keefy Peace. Um,
0: no, I'm kidding. I don't know, Kefie. Um, Do you by chance?
1: No. I mean, I lived in Vegas and I know some disreputable characters, but here's the th- important thing i don't hang around gangsters who admit to crimes in their books
0: right yeah like,
1: yeah like don't be surprised when when the feds roll up on your house when you admitted to a murder in your memoir <laughs> <laughs> like i was shocked that feds showed up well maybe don't write about your murders in your memoir don't don't appear in every video on the internet talking about i was there when we took out tupac hey guess what buddy they're coming for you yeah
0: yeah i'm surprised it took this long
1: you well know- that, that goes to the fecklessness of Metro Las Vegas PD.
0: And, and why now, Todd? I mean, let, let's, let's, let's take a little sidebar here for a second. Why now? What's the point?
1: Well, I think, not that I have any inside information, but I think that he had been embarrassing Las Vegas PD okay. for years yeah. Yeah. by walking around saying, I was there. We killed Tupac. He wrote about it in his memoir. He's appeared in a thousand interviews talking about it. And it just makes the Las Vegas police look like morons. So for what whatever reason there was that they did not solve a crime where everyone knew who the shooters were, for whatever corrupt reasons Las Vegas doesn't do its job, it became a point where it was like the public knows who killed him. How does Las Vegas PD not know they, they've got to make an arrest at some point? And so uh, the only thing I can think is that, you know, they've had so much bad publicity the previous couple of years for murders that had that had happened on their watch that they were like, well, we should probably solve two bucks. Let's go ahead and do that. <laughs> no, let's, it's only been 30.
0: Let's clean that one off the slate.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, Las Vegas is a is a crazy place. I mean, there's a, an amazing journalist, Jeff German, that was murdered by... Um, A guy, he was writing stories about a corrupt um, city official. And the guy rolled up on his house and stabbed him to death. Jeez. And uh, and was almost immediately caught because of every single ring camera in the neighborhood caught him walking up like with a knife.
0: (laughs) I mean, I don't mean to laugh about that, but I mean, you know, in this day and age, you can't, it's, it's not like you can get away with something like that, you know?
1: No, I mean, it's getting harder and harder for me to commit the crimes that I want to commit. (laughs) <laughs> no, I mean, whoa. Uh, yeah. yeah.
0: But, you know, you even bring that up in the book. I mean, yeah, you know, it's, it's, true. it's, 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 uh, it's nearly, it's damn near impossible to get away with, with a crime. And I won't, I won't cite where in the book it is, but, but law enforcement's even taking advantage of the fact that there are ring cameras everywhere and there are ways yeah. around certain constitutional rights Exactly. Um,
1: to... I mean, th- this is why I set these books in the past. So, Gangster Land takes place in 1998 to 1999. Gangster Nation takes place 2000 to 2001, and this book takes place in 2002. Mm-hmm. Because the expansion of facial recognition software would make it impossible for this for my character Sal Cupertino to be in Las Vegas, because Las Vegas is the most surveilled city in America. Mm-hmm. But post-Boston, almost every city is the most surveilled city in America. Yeah. I mean, think about how quickly we caught the Boston bombers. Like we, I mean, the, the press knew about him. There was some distance between the press and the police knowing who they were looking for. But they got that guy in 24 hours, the, yeah. the two guys. Yeah, yeah. They knew exactly who they were within 24 hours. And and that's in a city of millions you know, with a giant crime scene, and they figured that out almost immediately. So it would be like running someone through facial recognition software in Las Vegas, you'd find the person you're looking for very, very quickly. And that's why there's a ton of of, um, criminal activity that happens in Vegas, because people go there for, like, their last stand, and it's like they pop up on every database that anyone's looking at, and if they're looking, they're going to find you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know... what kills me now, especially these days, is is that we do have unsolved crimes, unsolved murders uh, that we have. Well, let's face it, that we have missing children when we, right. you know, in the palm of your hand, you have a camera. Uh, right. People have cameras everywhere. And it seems like it'd be harder than than usual for people to get away with crimes.
1: Well, and, you know, because of ancestral DNA something I'm really interested in. I read, I read a great book called The Forever Witness by Ed Hume um, about the pluses and minuses of ancestral DNA. So I'm sure you've talked about this on the show before, but, you know, that's what caught the Golden State Killer. Mm-hmm. And they're using it over and over again to find other killers. But then there's sort of a, a constitutional question of, okay, well, why aren't we using it to catch rapists? Why aren't we using it to, ke- to catch... Uh, people who rob houses because the DNA is the same. Yeah, it's like we're only using it for a certain severity of crime. Like, what's what's the most severe crime that we should use ancestral DNA for? What's the least severe crime? Because you know you're not going to rob a Seven Eleven if if you know that your sister is on 23andMe. You know, so there's all sorts of fascinating stuff that's involved with ancestral DNA. There's just not enough people that are using it to to find everybody because once they start getting into that stuff there's going to be a lot of cold cases that come unravel because of it
0: well then how far are we away from like say movies like the minority report where you know not that
1: far yeah <laughs> i mean other than having psychics in tubs
0: <laughs> yeah true yeah <laughs> although that that kind of sounds like one of those weird movies too um yeah. but yeah yeah but we're yeah we're we're you know we're we're hunting out people based on, you know, based on their their DNA or based on like you put it, psychics and tubs or or catching them before the fact right. that they may have a tendency to want to commit crimes.
1: Or yeah. I mean, crimes. I don't think you can arrest people for their thoughts because if that were the case, you and I would both be in prison. That's true. Um, <laughs> but I mean, I'm I'm fascinated by the use of this DNA stuff because it's going to change the way law enforcement works, but it's also questions of privacy and uh, and civil rights and all kinds of stuff. There's, you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff wrapped into it that the, that the laws and the constitution simply are not prepared to deal with.
0: Very true. Very true. Before the break, we were talking about uh, the role of Rabbi David Cohen and Sal Cupertine in this, this dual personality, or if you will, and dual uh, occupations. And how one probably isn't good for the other, and vice versa, and how they interact with certain people in the community, and how collateral damage can be done uh, to certain people in the community, and it even affects to a certain point, even even though uh, you would think it wouldn't with it with a, for lack of a better term, a hitman and slash psychopath, because you can't kill a hundred guys or a hundred people and not be some sort of a psychopath, but it doesn't, you don't think I
1: don't know. so? I mean, you can tell me that every drone pilot that fights, um, from a bunker somewhere in the Nevada desert, killing insurgents across the country using a drone is a psychopath.
0: I think if you can detach yourself pretty easy, there's something not right there.
1: I don't know. I mean, are you going to say that every single person who fought in world war two is a psychopath? <laughs>
0: No, because the people who fought in World War II, who and I'll, I'll tell you, my grandfather fought in World War II and had a heck of a case of PTSD I at know. The end well, of it. Yeah, yeah.
1: So I, but and they had a reason. Like they, they, they had a reason to fight, right? Right. So let's, let's, maybe Vietnam. Vietnam seems like a purposeless war. Like those guys came back fucked up because they didn't have a purpose,
0: right? But I'm saying, you know, it's it's one thing to. It's one thing to, I mean, we're splitting hairs here, Todd. It's one thing to...
1: <laughs> I'm just playing Sal's advocate. No, I hear you, I hear you. It's one
0: thing to, you know, be a a member of the mob and go out and continue that lifestyle for profit. Right. It's another to be fighting in a war and be enlisted. Right. Or even vol- volunteers. Well, thinking, I mean,
1: it's all war, you know, depending on how you look at it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's chain of command. You're being told to go kill a guy, you kill a guy. You know, what, what's the difference? Like... If if you're enlisted in the Marines or you're enlisted in the mob and the job is to go kill a guy, you kill kill a guy. How's yeah, but
0: you're killing one guy to put uh, anywhere from 10K to 100K in your pocket. And in another, you're killing a guy to survive on a battlefield. I mean, there's there's quite a difference.
1: I don't know. I'm just, <laughs> but I'm just saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> I, like, the gang and the government, there's not that big of a difference. We all we take orders, and if those orders are kill a guy, does your brain know the difference between whether you're working for the mob or you're working for the United States government or any government? Uh, I don't know. Mine does. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, like, dude, historically, th- this is true, like, you know, the rise in organized crime post-World War I and post-World War Two mm-hmm. was profound because there were all these guys coming back from war Mm -hmm. who now had a special set of skills you know yeah and either found out that they were good at killing or they didn't have a problem with killing Mm -hmm. and therefore found themselves you know back in the neighborhood working for the guy running numbers happy to go break legs because that was nothing compared to what they saw in france or whatever sure um so there's there like there is this connection between um organized crime and the rise of organized crime and war, Mm -hmm. um, that I think is interesting. Of course we used the, the five families in world war II essentially to spy on the Italians. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. but I mean, the reason I say all this is of course, self-serving, um, which is that, I mean, I don't know if he's a psychopath because he loves somebody. Right. And if you're, can you be a psychopath and love somebody? I don't know. You can't be a sociopath and love somebody.
0: Um, you can go through the motions of loving someone or you can, you you can, you can value someone. I had an interesting conversation with a psychologist once on, on serial killers. And they said something interesting when it came to their child. Mm. And it was this, they didn't feel like they loved their child, but they would, they would literally kill for them
1: interesting
0: it's a it's an it's an interesting emotion it wasn't that it wasn't that they didn't it it wasn't the emotion that they had for them wasn't love but it was it was almost like a form of ownership
1: right so attachment of some kind
0: an attachment that's exactly what it was i will do anything for them but the the emotion wasn't love
1: right like i don't want to dent my car but i don't i'm not in love with my car (laughs)
0: Right. 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 Exactly. Exactly.
1: I don't want to like, I would be really pissed if I hurt my car Mm -hmm. or if my car blew up, I'd be really pissed, but I don't love it.
0: Right. And Mm. although in this book you attach a love between Sal and Jennifer. Right. I can almost argue that the want to get his wife and child back are a want to have his possessions back. No, oh, interesting. A want to have his old life back. A want to attach right. humanity back in a world that's chaos.
1: Well, I mean, like, look, that's the essence of crime fiction, right? Is bringing order to chaos. Like, that's why I read, that's why I read crime fiction. That's why, like, during the pandemic, every night I'd go to bed watching a true crime show because at the end of that true crime show, they caught the killer you know yeah, yeah and yeah. and then chaos was restored to order and i could finally go to sleep and wake up tomorrow in another chaotic world where we're not allowed to leave our house um that was very soothing for me during the pandemic um but that's also the reason why crime fiction i think is so popular both in books and tv and film and true crime as well is that people love to see chaos reordered you know yeah there's a there's a real attraction to that so you might, you might be onto something, but I, I, I think when you get to the end of the book, you will find that you are wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we'll, you will find that everything you believe is wrong.
0: But we won't spoil anything now. Wrong, But, but, but uh, <laughs> let, let me get to, to where I was going with the original point, and that's this. So you've got the rabbi, David Cohen, Sal Cupertino, same, same individual, two different, yes. two different occupations. A rabbi is there to be a spiritual counselor, to heal, to guide one through their, their journey through life, and to be there to consult, to, to build up. This hitman is there to tear down. right? He's there to do damage. And he has to coexist within these two occupations. In comes FBI agent Christie, who has had a battle with cancer and in her lowest point has come to Rabbi David who has counseled her. Now I want you to take this from here, Todd and tell us how Christy has leaned on Rabbi David. Who's come up with some really good advice for her, but at the same time, now she's chasing Sal.
1: Yeah. yeah
0: and, and take it from there.
1: So Christie shows up in the low desert first in a short story called Mosel and in that short story, which you can find free online, I put it up on my website. So you don't have to go by the low desert. Um, I mean, you should go by low desert, but Mm -hmm. it's also free online. Um, Christie finds that she's dying of cancer and she goes to the synagogue to pick out a, a cemetery plot and she meets rabbi David Cohen. And they end up having the a, a kind of beautiful interaction in this short story, that then turns very dark when she breaks into the the cemetery and encounters Sal Cupertine. Um And uh, Sal Cupertine lets her live in Mazel. Yeah, um, this is one of those situations where you think, oh, Sal Cooperstein about to kill this person. and He lets her live, um, but they she reveals to him all of her her concerns, for instance, you know, all the people that she's killed, um, all the people she's had killed in her role, working, um, in, uh, the FBI and, and in Naval intelligence. And he really gives her good advice and, you know, tells her to, to hold on to the good in the world and, and to, to look for Mazel, which is, um, you know, faith and then in gangsters don't die. She essentially is the hero of the book. She is the, the main person searching for, sal cooper throughout all of this book and and while at the same time interacting with rabbi david cohen not realizing they're the same person and what happens for her in this novel is mirroring what happens to sal cooper is that she realizes that she's two different people she is this person of of burgeoning faith based on the teachings of rabbi david cohen and she realizes she is a a hard-ass FBI agent who must bring down Sal Cooperstein for the bad things that he's done, and when she figures out at some point that they are the same person, what is what's going to happen then? Um, you know how how is that going to affect this character? But I have to tell you, Tim, um, Christy is based on a real person. Can I tell you a brief story? Yes, please. So, Christy um, is based on. A friend of mine named Christy Cade, and Christy, I met Christy online 23 years ago. She was a fan of my first book. Um, She was the only fan of my first book. My first book got really, 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 really bad reviews. For good reason. It wasn't a very good book. But Christy was a fan, so I immediately found her, sought her out, (laughs) and we began a correspondence that lasted over two decades. So we just became sort of like pen pals essentially. And then when social media showed up, you know, she friended me on Facebook and we would talk on Facebook and we would DM each other. And uh, I'd never met her in real life, but over the course of this time that we were friends, like I learned about her entire life, she'd write me and ask me for advice and I'd give it to her. You know, when I first met her, I think she was 19 or 20 and she was in a very abusive relationship. She just had a baby. She, I think, she had dropped out of high school but she loved books. And so I would tell her like, oh, this is a great book. This is a great book. And she started reading a ton. She eventually went and got her GED and then she went to college and then she got her master's. This is all during this time that we're having this this sort of pen pal relationship for decades on end without ever meeting in real life. Mm -hmm. And she eventually became a re- for the 20 some odd years we knew each other and I would send her my new books as soon as I finished them like she wouldn't have to wait for them to be published she was my number one fan I'd send her the manuscript wow um so when I was writing the low desert in uh 2020 she emailed me and she said um I have a really rare cancer and I don't know that I'm going to live to see the low desert come out will you send me the stories as you write them Oh my God! I was like, Jesus Christ! Of course. And so I was sending her the stories as I wrote them. And um, one day she she wrote me and she said, "I had an incredible thing happen to me today. Uh, maybe you can use it." And I was like, "Okay, what happened?" And so we were DMing back and forth. And she said, "Well, I was coming back from chemotherapy today, and um, I realized that I might not ever have hair again. That I might die before I have hair again." and I wanted to feel the wind through my hair one last time. And so I was speeding on the freeway to feel the wind rip through my hair and it was pulling the hair off of my head as I drove. She's like, but it was such an amazing feeling. And she said, right up until the cop pulled me over. And I was like, oh God. And she's like, and this is Florida. Like, I didn't know what they were gonna do. Like, they're gonna beat me and throw me under the bridge. You know, it's Florida, God knows. Yeah. And. She said, um, she said, the cop came up to the window and said, what are you doing? Like, you're going 85 in a 55. And she said, you know, I have, I'm going through chemo. I'm losing my hair. I wanted to feel the wind through my head one more time. Yeah. And the cop said, get out of the car. And she says at this point, she's like, "Ah, oh, I'm going to get arrested for reckless driving. So she gets out of the car and the cop hugs her. And he says to her, I'm not going to let you die today. I'm not going to let you die by speeding, but you're not going to die from this cancer. You're going to kick this cancer's ass. You're not going to die today. You're not going to die from this cancer. And he just held her and let her go. And then he said, drive as fast as you want. I'll drive behind you.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: So she's like, can you use that? And I was like, yeah, I can use that. I can, I can use that. And so I wrote a scene in Mosel where she encounters a rabbi David Cohen and they essentially had that same conversation. Um, and he lets her live. So I did that in honor of her. And, and then she survived, she survived and she saw the Love desert come out and it was great. She, you know, she really got through a lot of that. And then, um, I was working on gangsters don't die. So this was in 2022. And she emailed me early in 2022. And she said, my cancer's back she'd been in remission for two years. So my cancer is back, but I feel like I can, I can beat it. I was like, oh, that's great. That's great. And I didn't hear from her from, for a couple of weeks. And then a friend of hers emailed me and said, I don't know if anyone in her circle knows that you guys are friends. I have no idea if anyone she knows, knows that you know each other, but I know because I read books and I'm her only friend that reads books. And I know that you guys had this special relationship and I need to let you know that she had died.
3: Mm-hmm. I was like,
1: oh my God. And she's like, she, the cancer was intense and it overtook her within two weeks and she died. Oh my gosh, Todd. And I was like, oh my God. And I was so heartbroken. And this is a person I never met in real life. I'd never, I'd never even FaceTimed with her. I, did, I have a vague notion of what she looked like from her Facebook photos. Yeah. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to make her the hero of this book. I'm going to, I'm going to make her the character that really stands out in this book and in this series you know i'm gonna i'm gonna turn her into the hero that she should have been and that's, so that's what i did
0: that's amazing That's amazing i'm glad you did i'm glad you did that's a, that's a great tribute to her
1: yeah she was she was so she was so wonderful and she she had surpassed so many hardships in her life um and you know cancer is insidious but i wanted to show that uh i wanted to show her as a hero i wanted to show her as a bald badass hero
0: yeah right on right on yeah well god bless you christy that's I, i'm i'm glad that that uh she's forever immortalized in your book that's yeah, that's that's, makes that's you feel good yeah i'm glad you did that todd that's kudos to you my, my friend thank that's, you that's 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 great that's great to to know and it's good that that you you told that story. I'm glad you told that story here. And and I hope you tell that story in other places as well and that
1: I've been trying to tell it as often as I can because I want people to know her, you know. Yeah. And like that's a good character that I wrote, but um I wrote it out of such heartbreak, you know. Yeah. There's a scene later in the book that you'll get to shortly where you'll see that heartbreak really in in, in full force, but um you know that this is the thing is, you know when you asked me about you know the how long do i keep these characters around or whatever it was like some of these characters are real people to me because they're real people yeah and you know writing a book is a time machine in a way where you're 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 putting your thoughts from a moment in the past always a moment in the past on the paper in perpetuity and the notion that she's always alive in this book really makes me happy
0: yeah yeah that's that's one that's amazing man that's that's wonderful that's wonderful. One of the scenes I'm gonna switch gears here uh, while yeah. we kind of absorb that um, I want to switch gears here to something that I, I alluded to earlier in the program where one of your amazing series crosses over into this series again the how do I make a bomb out of something um, <laughs> and I told you before the show that this scene absolutely from the beginning of it, beginning of it to the culmination of it. I was absolutely astounded. There's not very much that's put on the written page where I see it in my mind. And it's so vivid that I just go, Oh, from the (laughs) beginning of it to the very end of it and Marvel at its genius. And it's, well, you know what, I'll, I'll let you take over from here, Todd, because you know the scene I'm talking about. And, and it has to do with a point in time where Rabbi Cohen slash Sal Cupertine realizes that he's being pulled in by a friend, Jerry Jerry L. Ford, into a situation that he knows is going to get him in Dutch, and it's going right. to get him in Dutch with the family. and. Right he's been asked to help clean up the situation i'll let you take it from here
1: yeah so jerry ford um for those of you who have read the books he he owns the body farms life for um, which is a legitimate business that sells body parts or moves body parts for medical research or for um, medical purposes these are this is a real real job Um, but he also is in the black market moving body parts for a variety of people including the synagogue and uh, the Russian mob, as it turns out in this book as well. So he, um, he's got a problem in that a warehouse that he operates, the power has gone out and the bodies have begun to rot and leak into a oh. swingers club and a, and a cop <laughs> bar. <laughs> it's bad to laugh at my own work, but just remembering writing it is so absurd to me. Um, but what i what i really knew i wanted to do and this is a little bit of a spoiler but um i won't reveal too much but i knew i needed i, I wanted to blow up a part of las vegas <laughs> and i wanted it i wanted to rain body parts on the streets of las vegas uh, and i wanted it to be a, a big sort of set piece and but i didn't know how to do it i was like how can i possibly blow up like a giant warehouse And so I was sitting here at my desk, the very desk that uh, Tim can see me at as we speak on Zoom. Mm -hmm. And on this day, my mother-in-law happened to be over. And she was in the kitchen with my wife. And I knew that part of this warehouse, the front of it was a dental office. And and my wife's mother had been a hygienist for her career. And her husband had been a dentist. And uh, I was like, huh, I wonder if they knew anything. So I get up from my desk and I go into the kitchen. I'm like, hey, mom. Um, if I wanted to blow up like a city block, um, what could I use in a dental office to do that? And not even like, it didn't take her 30 seconds. It was immediate. She's like, Oh, the autoclave. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? She's like, yeah, a big industrial autoclave. If it's, if it's a big practice of a very large autoclave, you could take out a city block with that. And I was like. Tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me everything. And she's like, well, with all the combustible chemicals in there, oh my God, yeah, you could, you could really crater downtown Las Vegas. And I was like, let me get a pen. <laughs> <laughs> and so my mother-in-law told me how to build this bomb, essentially. And so I write it, and um, I give her a copy of the book, and she's reading it. This was you know, months later, and she's like, Todd, how did you know the, what you could do with that autoclave. But I was like, mom, you told me. She's like, I did? I was like, don't you remember? I walked in the kitchen you were standing there and I asked you how to build a bomb. She's like, well, you come on and ask stupid questions like this all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea what you are gonna use. <laughs> <laughs> well, come on. <laughs>
0: I mean, you come out and ask questions. You don't expect yeah. that you're just going to let it fall by the wayside, right?
1: Yeah, sometimes, you know, you just it ends up being on the cut file. But, uh, oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> so it's I won't I won't say anymore because it's an important scene in the book. Right, but man. That's one of those scenes, too, where as a writer, it's just like, I'm going to have the funnest time of my entire life writing this thing.
0: Absolutely. And it is fun. I'll put it that way. It's it's um, descriptive. We'll put it yeah. that way.
1: It's descriptive. <laughs> it is, it's,
0: it is. Um, it's a scene that you probably don't want to eat before you read it,
1: or and, during, or after. Or during
0: yeah. or after, and uh, let's just say Christie's put through her paces. during, yes. during that scene.
1: Yes, Christie. Christie Christy earns her wings there. <laughs>
0: yep. So it's a it's a, it's a very good scene. It's it's one of the best scenes I think I've I've read in quite some time, probably in a few Thank years. So you. it's Thank you. yeah, it's 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 very um, entertaining. We'll put it that way. It's, it's a good way of putting it. Um, well, Todd, I, I tell you, I don't want to give away too much more about the book. I want people to go read this book because yes, this, this book is amazing. It's amazing. And it's a, a fitting tie up to the, uh, gangster quartet that's out there. And I think, uh, not only will people be satisfied with the way that you've wrapped up the series, I think they're, they're absolutely going to love it. I think that this Hope is, so. Hope so. this is a, uh, this is a great book. And uh, again, I'm I'm uh, I'm enthralled with it. I think you've you've done some excellent work here. Now, can we can we? Uh, you've mentioned now that that you have some people in line to turn this into. Is it a television series,
1: a movie? What, it would what is be it? A, a television series. Yeah. Okay. So the thing is that we've had um, since since the short story was written, mm-hmm. it has been under option the entire time. Okay. So someone has been attempting to make this into a, a tv show or a movie since 2009 wow but the group that we've got with it right now who i can't reveal okay um but all will eventually be in the trades um make some amazing television shows and um this would be a, a, an amazing opportunity the, the the team that i had before was great too i was working with um with Eric Overmeyer, who runs Bosch on Amazon. Mm-hmm. And he was great. And we had a, a great partnership working on the show together. Um, but Amazon ended up spinning off Bosch into Bosch Legacy. And and that was sort of that, unfortunately, for uh for Line. But that, you know, this is how it happens when you work in um when you work in Hollywood. Nothing is nothing is guaranteed to you, you know. Um, there's a lot of moving parts and you know, a, a TV show isn't a book. It's not something that costs a few thousand dollars. Well, several thousand dollars. You know, you're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars if it goes for a long time. Right. And so I'm I'm realistic about the chances of anything getting made because I, I always think of it like, like, oh, I've walked up to Ford and handed them a, a drawing for a new Mustang. I'm like, hey, why don't you go ahead and put this into production? Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) so if if they just let me in for a meeting i feel pretty happy about it
0: oh good 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 now i know earlier in the program you had said that you were you were a little hesitant to put the cap on this deal and and end this deal because you knew that with a tv series coming that there you know there may be the the idea that there'd be multiple seasons of this tv show i gotta ask you this question because one of my favorite shows over the years has been the walking dead. And we all know that mm-hmm. walking dead never went according to how the graphic novels went or the, the, the comics. Um, it split off. Had it had its own timeline. It had its own right. characters. It had things that were unique to the TV series. Do you see something like that with Gangsterland, where it, it could be its own entity on its own, or do you feel that you would try to follow close to what the books have done?
1: Um, well, you know, the nice thing about the books is if if they just followed the books, you probably could get five seasons of TV out of it. Um, but this is the thing is that it's a different medium entirely. And the creators of a TV show need to have the freedom to do what they want to do. And so I would never say, you know, in whatever role that I have in the making of a TV show, I would never say you can't do X, Y, or Z. You know, that's the that's, that's showrunner's creative vision, not mine. You know, that's that's what you sign away, you know, is that creative control. Um, But that being said, I've also created through the low desert, a lot of B stories and tendrils that go out. I mean, you have you're going to have to have things that don't exist in the books in the TV show regardless. Um, But there's a lot of opportunities to investigate other things. I think the important thing, though, is that is understanding that, you know, these are these are books that are a satire of the mob not a celebration of the mob Mm -hmm. and when you i think just like pretending to be a rabbi for so long you become a rabbi yeah i had pretended to be a satire of the mob for so long that it became mob books you know like i I wrote books making fun of the mob but even though you're making fun of it it's still the mob Mm -hmm. um and there's some level of realism that has to come into play but it's like you you've I've I've taken the notion of what organized crime does and taken it to such an extreme. Oh, there you're gonna buy a cemetery and make a rabbi. Like that's crazy. Right. Until you find out what the mob is actually doing and some things not so dissimilar. Um <clears throat> so I think a TV show has a lot of opportunities to go a lot of different ways. And of course, you know, to look into the personal lives of the FBI agents and the wives and all that stuff. There's there's a, a rich tableau. What I can say, and this is something that I learned Actually working with Eric Overmeyer when we were um, working on the show for Amazon, you know, the the way that The Wire has been so successful it was giving weight to every side of the story. Mm-hmm. And for a show like this, I think that's the possible way to do it, too, is by giving weight so that you never know who the hero is ah, or there's, right. there is no hero. Right. You know, it, it's all part of a system. I mean which is you know since what I'm talking about that we are you know we are a gangster land that we are um we are uniquely set up as a as a world where the rules of the mob are the rules of America um where it's it's no longer about you know the american dream it's about getting away with it yeah you know yeah all of these all of these notions of organized crime are the, are the notions of you know tiktok fame right so I, I think I think all that to say I think a TV show could examine all these things culturally, um, and sociologically, and character wise, and and really be successful. I mean, I hope so.
0: I think so too. I think that would be kind of a refreshing look, uh, especially with the satirical uh, slant.
1: Yeah, yeah it's got to be. It's got to be funny. I mean, yeah, the books are funny in my point of view. Yes, yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very so, much. I think the show has to be funny too. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. I mean, it may never, ever get beyond wherever it is right now, but someone else will own it eventually and someone else will own it eventually and someone else will own it eventually.
0: (laughs) I I think it'll see the light of day. You know, if you think about it, we haven't, we haven't had a real, it's been a few years since we've had a real good gangster program.
1: Peaky Blinders, um, yeah, was and then in fact, the people that make Peaky Blinders owned this for a little while, also.
0: Oh, did they? Oh, okay.
1: All yeah, right. this is. I mean, this is this is the long and torturous journey of gangster land to TV, uh, but Peaky Blinders. I mean, it's periods. So it's a little bit different, of course. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But there's not been there's not been a great mob show in in a good long time. I'm ready for it. Yeah, I am ready. I
0: am too. I am too. Yeah, it, it's. Uh... I don't know. I've been kind of feeling the the hole in in things since the uh, Sopranos left the air. So,
1: yeah, during the pandemic, I rewatched the Sopranos, and it is a really goddamn good show. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. And it really,
0: and I, is. I miss the tongue in cheek humor in, in Sopranos yeah. too. So,
1: like, I I rewatched the Pine Barrens episode. You know, yes. when they lose the, the Russian in the snow. Yep. What a star episode, and what an amazing piece of work. Like an amazing piece of narrative, and they never ever. For the rest of the series, pay it off. Nope. It's great.
0: Yep. Yeah, that it is. That it is. Well, folks, uh, again, one more time, Gangsters Don't Die. We have a link in the description of this program. Again, I encourage you, go get a copy right now uh, and, and pick this book up, and I guarantee you, you're going to pick it up. You're not going to want to put it down. Uh, I will make you a bet. You pick up this book, you'll be through it in three days. It's it's that good. You're not going to want to put it down. You're going to want to read it from cover to cover, and you're going to want to get through this book. So, um, it is that good. The multi talented Todd Goldberg. I want to thank you so much
1: for being with My us pleasure. today. Always so. happy to be here with Tim.
0: I can't wait for your next project, man. I, I hope you would come back and uh, and discuss it with us.
1: So, well, if the A's are in Las Vegas, I will.
0: <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> uh, th- well, I tell you what. It, it, We'll have to we'll have to do a thing where we'll do like uh, if we can hit it on the right right day of the year, maybe we can go to a golden knights A's and, and Raiders game and Perfect. And we'll we'll spend our four oh one K's doing it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'll let my wife know.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know you'll probably have to get permission first, but but definitely we'll do that. So I wanna thank you so much, Todd, for being on the program today. My pleasure. Well the mood's already been pretty light, but let's Turn it over right now and bring in Beer City Bruiser. It's time now for Dumb Crimes and Stupid Criminals. It's, it's crayon news story. Time.
2: What happened with this dude, Christbearer? I heard he uh, cut his penis off and then jumped off a balcony.
1: Suspect pulls gun from butt, shoots twice at Denver Police.
3: Is your emergency? I help. And what's the problem? i too high. You're too high. Yeah.
0: It's that time once again—the time you've all been waiting for. It's time for dumb crimes, stupid criminals, and for that, we got to have a co-host. So we bring in the man, the man with the plan. Boy, he's got a lot of plans this week, too. Uh, The BCB, the big cuddly bear himself, beer, city, bruiser, bruiser. Thank you for taking some time out this week. It's a huge (laughs) week, man. Wrestlecade week. So we're going to wrangle you in here. Uh, Tell people real quick about Wrestlecade. What's going on with you this weekend?
2: Oh, Wrestlecade is probably the largest wrestling convention that I know of, that I've been a part of. 10,000 people a day come through. It's a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and yours truly is returning to the ring Saturday and Sunday. So um, not only am I part of the creative process and the agent and producing part of it, but I'm now going to be wrestling too. So I've been in the ring. I've been at the gym. I've been on creative calls. I've been recording with you. I've been <laughs> just yeah. it already so the fans can have the best possible experience with not only listening to us, but if they come to visit me at Wrestlecade, it's, it's a, they can come back and maybe email you and go cruiser. It was amazing. It was awesome. It, you know, that's right. That's right. Well, <laughs> not
0: only can you see bruiser in person, but you can also watch on title match network. We have those links at darkness show.com in the events section. So yep. everything's covered there. You go there, you can check it out. You can see it for yourself.
2: And I'll be with the title match guys. In fact, that's who I have a meeting with after we're done recording is the, the title match guys to, uh, go over creative and camera positioning and and the best layout for the building we're in. So the, the backstage stuff of the underwater needlepoint world. There you go. (laughs) Stuff you're familiar with.
0: Yeah. 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 So there you go. Interesting stuff. So we'll talk more about it on tomorrow's show and, and let you guys know exactly. Uh, Again, if you want the skinny on everything, even the list of events, uh, some of the guys you can see out there at Wrestlecade this weekend, again, go to darknessradioshow.com, click on events. It's right there. When you click on the events page, uh, the list of events uh, the people who are going to be there you click on the links, that'll take you to wrestlecade.com yep. uh, you can get your tickets there you can check out all the wrestlers that are going to be there the the dignitaries everybody including bruiser um,
2: huge that weekend. that schedule's down to the hour too yep. with every podcast that's going on every meet and greet that's going on um, every guest that's going to be there it's like i said if you're even if you're not a wrestling fan you're just uh, maybe you used to watch it as a kid well we got those guys coming too yeah. You know, man. maybe you only watch DCW. Guess what? Those guys are coming too. Yeah. You yeah. know, maybe uh you just want to come and, and make fun of me. You can do that too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I don't know about that, Bruce.
0: I don't think people are they're gonna come love you up. That's what's gonna happen. I'm telling you. Uh let's jump into dumb crimes stupid criminals for the day. Boy, classic edition. That's all I gotta say. Two words. Classic <laughs> edition uh evidently uh as we get closer to thanksgiving people are going to get the stupid out of the way so they can enjoy their dinner that's all i got that's all I'm, I'm thinking here we'll start off uh in georgia right right close to you in that area of the country there bruiser
2: kroger do you do you have uh the kroger near you uh not near us but i've been to kroger before that was a lot in missouri there's a lot of Kroger. I remember yeah. when I lived in Missouri, it was a lot of Kroger.
0: Yeah, this one is in, in the Atlanta area. This teenage grocer evidently didn't take math in high school and, <laughs> and didn't take accounting because he didn't figure the way he was going to embezzle a Kroger would ever be caught.
2: <laughs> so he's like hey i hear about this embezzling thing all the time on hbo i want to give it a try yeah um, i didn't know i need to know one plus one equals three <laughs> no not at all and he figured the
0: way he did it was so innocent that that well let's just say you're gonna get caught eventually let me explain it to you bruiser as to yeah. why this is the stupidest way you can get caught embezzling from your grocery job a teenage grocery bagger started working at Kroger and processing lots of quote unquote returns. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. In just two weeks. The only problem is nearly a million dollars was missing in that two weeks. (laughs) A little, a little
2: too much. (laughs) He took a little bit too much of the pie.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I think Kroger will miss uh, notice a million dollars missing.
2: uh, I I think so too. Like if you just took a spoonful of pumpkin pie on Thanksgiving, so okay, Whatever. You take uh, three or four slices of pumpkin pie. It's like, hey, who ate the pie? Come on.
0: Uh, three or four slices. I think a million is akin to, I don't know, four or five pies on Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a little, little much. A teenager hired to work as a grocery bagger at Kroger has stolen nearly a million dollars worth of goods in the space of just two weeks, according to police. Here's a problem. He's only 19, kids. 19-year-old Trey Brown uh, had only just started work at the popular supermarket when cops allege that he began stealing goods. Oh, Trey. <laughs> Trey, Trey, Trey. <laughs> the teenager from Atlanta, Georgia, was accused of pocketing eight or $980,000 by returning non-existent items, making more than 40 fake transactions in the space of two weeks. Okay, I'm going to stop right here. 40 fake transactions, $980,000, and you don't think the accounting department at Kroger is going to go, hmm, something's wrong here.
2: Yeah. Hmm. Someone someone needs to be investigated. (laughs) Yeah.
0: He then allegedly used the money to buy clothes, guns, and cars because you should be balling when you got $980,000 of Kroger's money.
2: And I'll guarantee you all over his Instagram and Facebook's him holding the guns with the cash going, look what your boy did.
0: <laughs> <laughs> this is a Kroger Glock, yo. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, he, uh, detectives in Gwinnick County, Georgia, then claimed that Brown began making false transactions immediately after he was hired by the Kroger store in December 2020. He didn't even wait, Bruiser. He didn't even get through the training manual before he started embezzling. <laughs>
2: He sat down, and the first thing was how to do transactions. And he went, "Oh, okay, I can make some money." <laughs> or, okay, um,
0: <laughs> just saying, you're balling when you when you're taking that much money. Well, yeah. The false items ranged in price from seventy-five thousand dollars to eighty-seven thousand dollars. Yipes! Wow, at Kroger, what kid? Really, it's a lot of Snapple that's yeah the snapple is expensive <laughs> too the bakery department i don't think there's a gold foil cake at kroger you can buy for eighty-seven thousand.
2: no no what is he buying I like don't, i don't know is he having people come and buy a bunch of of cart shopping carts and <laughs> <laughs> boss i sold the back room 87 grand <laughs> they're coming to get it hey boss you know that uh a can of Coke that's uh, $800,000 no one can sell? Guess what? Your boy sold it.
0: <laughs> I got scales. Uh, $75 to $87,000 with the money then transferred to several credit cards, according to cops.
2: Okay. So he's spreading it out.
0: That's right. That's right. Police said at the time they believed that Brown started with smaller transactions, but then got more ambitious as he continued to get away with it. Speaking to local Fox affiliate WAGA, the WAGA. Uh, <laughs> you can't ride my little red WAGA. Uh, Police Corporal Colin Flynn said this person who was stealing decided to go real big. You think?
2: <laughs> you think? <laughs>
0: This employee was essentially creating fake items, taking those items and returning them to a credit card he had, and just making up prices for those items.
2: Oh, so of course, he buys a Snickers bar for a dollar forty-nine, but he return it for five hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, you know, inflation. Exactly. We've all exactly. been hit by
0: it this year, Bruiser. I mean, you know. we have. Yeah. Phyllis, why is this loaf of bread thirteen thousand eight hundred and forty-seven dollars? <laughs> They say You in know, the if company? he was
2: smart, he would have stolen a bunch of Cadbury eggs and oh. blamed it on the dude that stole all the Cadbury eggs before, and that's why the prices were so high.
0: That's right, Bruiser. Now, you see, know. now you're
2: thinking. See, if he would have listened to our show, we would have had helped him get away with this. That's right. He would have totally got away with it.
0: <laughs> it seems like this is a rare case where things snuck through the cracks and the person was able to get away with a large number of money in a short period of time, said police. Brown was alleged to have splashed out on clothes, guns, shoes, and two vehicles with the cash, one of which he totaled before his arrest in January of 2021. So he crashed one vehicle. He needed another bruiser. It's just simple.
2: It's the easy math. It is. You crash one car, you buy another. That's right. You got. Kroger. And, and you know what? Your Twizzlers paid for it.
0: That's right. You're, <laughs> he got Kroger money, son. Yeah.
3: Yep.
2: It's, it's like. That's a, what it says on his Instagram when he's standing in front of that new brand new car holding that brand new Glock, holding up the bottle of Pepsi. He says, I got Kroger money, son.
0: <laughs> like to thank Mr. Kroger for the new whip? Yep. Uh, cops said a large sum of money was returned following Brown's arrest. God, I hope he didn't go through it in two weeks.
2: You never know. <laughs>
0: He was charged at the time with theft by taking as opposed by theft by giving. <laughs> I think that's a holiday in the hood, isn't it? Yeah, theft that's by called giving. Thanksgiving, right? That's right. Uh, which lawyers said was likely to be deemed a felony under Georgia law if more than $500 is at stake. Really? It only takes $500 of theft in Georgia to, to get a felony?
2: That, that's common around. Huh. I, I thought it was 600, but yeah, I guess it is five. Hmm. It usually goes whatever with the taxes are.
0: Okay. Uh, the punishment for such a crime is a prison sentence of between one to 10 years. What do you get for almost a million? <laughs>
2: hmm. Interesting. He's 19. He'll be out soon.
0: Well, in his life, yeah. I mean, it's <laughs> such a young life. Even if they gave him 10 years, he's out by the time he's 29.
2: Yeah, and he can come out and say he was a kingpin at Kroger. That's
0: right. And then he just goes over to another store and starts all over (laughs) again.
2: He goes to the Red Owl and bankrupts it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I made a million, son. Imagine what I could do for you. (laughs) God, that's horrible.
2: He's in the interview with something you're very proud of. I stole a million dollars from Kroger. (laughs) (laughs) They never saw it coming.
0: Oh, oh, Florida, you shoot real straight and true. (laughs) Our next story. I know now that I've woke everybody up with the national anthem of Florida. (laughs) Has to do with, by the way, um, never, never date anybody from Florida who looks like you could probably drive them to school, Bruiser. Oh, yeah. You see that mullet? Yes, or shadow. That's a no. That's a mullet on a young Florida woman. That's a woman. Yeah, drink it in, <laughs> drink it in, bruiser.
2: That looks like a thirteen-year-old boy it from does. 1982.
0: Well, she she acts like one here. Um, <laughs> this is a Florida mistress who shot into the car of her sugar daddy's girlfriend and infant child. Oh, you can't do that. No, no, you get negative points for this one.
2: Yeah, that, that that ruins it with your sugar daddy.
0: That's true. A Florida woman who was the mistress of a man she referred to as her sugar daddy <laughs> <sighs> literally almost is the age of her daddy, I believe. Probably. Yeah. 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 Is accused of firing a gun into the car of the man's full time girlfriend all while the girlfriend's infant child sat in the car. Oh. Mm-hmm.
2: That's the problem.
0: I'm going to have you guess what that, after seeing that picture, how old this girl slash woman is.
2: Well, my gut instinct is 18, 19, but in Florida with the seawater there, I'm going to go 29. (laughs) Okay.
3: The (laughs) seawater.
0: Zara Percy, the alleged shooter, used the man's gun in the act per authorities. The Daytona Beach love triangle violently collapsed outside an apartment building On November 4th, when the 20-year-old Percy.
2: 20, okay. Yeah.
0: Okay. 20-year-old Percy. She looks darn young for her age.
2: I was going to say, she gets carded everywhere.
0: Yeah, she's 20 going on 12.
2: That's a nice mullet, though.
0: It is. A, it's a beautiful mullet. Uh, my my sixteen year old person is very jealous right now.
2: <laughs> I was going to say my eighth grade picture is mad right now. Yeah, <laughs> it's not a great great mullet in eighth grade.
0: Oh, I had a beautiful spike mullet, Bruiser. I really. I did. I did too. I
2: had. I had. Going through the years, it would go where it was real nice, and then I'd shave the sides. I had the steps in it at one point oh, in time. Oh,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Mine was spiked. I had it permed in the back. It was spiked into curly, my friend. It was... There you go. Man, I was a wild child. I was... Yeah. Yeah.
2: My dad had the classic perm mullet, where it just looked like a helmet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. When I told, I remember the, that smell walking in the house, like oh, that's permanent hair. When I told the
0: animal that, when I from the Road Warriors, when I told him that that I had spiked going into curly, yeah. he, he just said, bro. <laughs> 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 you could tell that's hit, what he did. I had freak factor number nine going there. He, he was oh, like, nice. yeah, bro.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I just, I knew, I, I knew, I'd found a soul brother there. <laughs> Anywho, uh, so Zara uh, Percy, we we're back on Sarah Percy. I know his uh, his uh, boyfriend, or her, her boyfriend was her I'm boyfriend. Sorry.
2: I said his. Oh my god! Now, did they, how old? Hopefully, it tells you how old the boyfriend is.
0: Oh, we're getting there, my friend. So yeah. the 20 year old Percy found out the man she was seeing had a full time girlfriend, so she got mad. She got mad. Yeah. Uh, the victim said she went to pick up dinner from Wendy's at around 9 p.m. <laughs> She was out a little late. Classy, they, yeah, yeah. Well, Wendy says kind of classy. You know, you can get the white napkins.
2: Oh, you, you can. Know. You're right.
0: That's very classy. Yeah, and the 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 packets of ketchup are individual.
3: Oh, okay. Uh, and okay. they're
0: they're foil. So, you <laughs> know. Yeah, I suppose for a 12 year old, that's pretty. That's pretty neat. <laughs> Just saying. So she went to, to go pick up dinner from Wendy's at around 9 p.m. on November 4th when she saw a silver car parked outside of her house, according to an arrest affidavit obtained by Law & Crime. She told authorities that she had seen the car pass by the residents before, so she approached the vehicle. Oh, bad idea.
2: <laughs>
0: As the unidentified woman parked next to the vehicle, she saw Percy exit the apartment building. The woman's boyfriend, who is also the father of her one-year-old child, was walking with Percy, she told the authorities." According to that, as the victim got out of the car to confront Percy and her boyfriend, according to local CBS affiliate WKMG, somebody nearby shouted, she has a gun. Police said what happened next occurred rapidly. As the victim ran back to her car, Percy allegedly went to the trunk of her vehicle, hauled out a gun and started shooting at the woman and toward her car where the one-year-old child was seated inside. At least two rounds were fired, police said. Percy was not apprehended until last Friday, according to WKMG when she was pulled over for a traffic stop. Officers asked to search her vehicle for the gun used to shoot at the woman on November 4th. Percy told them where to find it, (laughs) so to speak. Uh, She had given it back to the man in the middle of the two women, her sugar daddy, she said. Interesting sentence. Yeah. Uh, So she gave it back to the guy.
2: Yeah. Why did it take so long for them to arrest her? They knew who she was.
0: So what? She was like, I'm sorry, I fired on her daddy and gave him the gun back?
2: Yeah. Like, hey, sugar daddy, I'm sorry I almost ended the life of your child and your other lover. Here's the gun back. Can I have my allowance? I guess, right? Hold this. You did that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What a weird story. Investigators reported confirming that Percy was the man's mistress. The 20-year-old woman was detained and released on $5,000 bond okay what a bizarre story
2: that's a very bizarre story
0: oh yeah huh let's move on (laughs) uh because i don't think i can wrap my head around that one anymore this story is a story that you would think you would only hear in spy novels and weird whodunits bruiser
2: (laughs) (laughs) i've been hearing a lot of those stories lately
0: yeah but this one happened right here in good old waukesha county minnesota Oh, okay. Yep. A woman in Waukesha County, Minnesota has been found guilty of poisoning her beautician with eye drops.
2: <laughs> don't eye drops make you p- I know they make you puke. I know you can be poisoned by them. Yeah, I guess you can. Mental note, don't piss off my hairdresser. Right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Are you going to a lot of hairdressing appointments these days, Bruiser?
2: No. Okay. I, no, I, I go to great clips. <laughs> I don't Good. have enough out there to afford a hairdresser.
0: <laughs> I was going to say, my hairdresser is me. I It's just, a, <laughs> yeah, it's just me and a Gillette razor. Uh, 39-year-old Jesse Kercheski had been on trial for murder in connection with the death of her friend, 62-year-old Lynn Herman. According to the court, which adjourned and resumed on Tuesday, when the jury deliberated for nearly four hours before finding the defendant guilty on one count of first-degree intentional homicide and two counts of theft of movable property of more than $10,000 but then less than $100,000. The prosecutor said Kercheski stole nearly $300,000 from the beautician. Kercheski, who was sobbing as the verdict was read aloud by Judge Jennifer Doro, At the Waukesha County Courthouse, faces a maximum sentence of life imprisonment for homicide and an additional 10 years for the theft charges, which carries a maximum sentence of five years each. Her sentencing hearing is scheduled for 1.30 p.m. on December 7th, according to court records. During a news conference following the hearing, Deputy District Attorney Abby Nicoli. Thank the witnesses and jurors for their service. She said her office was seeking justice for a life that was unjustly taken. The defendant betrayed Lynn out of greed, she continued. This case highlighted the financial vulnerability of the victim and what a person will do to get what they want. A close friend of Miss Herman's, Anthony Pozza, probably one of the only Italians in Waukesha, Minnesota, I can tell you that much.
2: <laughs> How is a, beauty, a beautician making $300,000?
0: You got me. I have no idea, bud. <laughs>
2: like I know inflation, but like what for a blowout? Is it a hundred thousand dollars? <laughs> <laughs> well, in certain circles, depends on the blowout. Like, how are these people make like figuring out all this money? Like, what are you and I doing wrong?
0: <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what I've done with my life that I'm not making three hundred thousand dollars for <laughs> anything these days. Mm. Uh, Anthony Potts, a close friend of Miss Hermans, also spoke at the conference alongside the deputy district attorney. He said he the described
2: the only Italian in Waukesha County. <laughs> yes, the only Italian in
0: Waukesha County. He owns the Italian restaurant and the gun dealership. Uh, he described his auntie as someone who was not a loner in the life of most get togethers. I don't know what that means, but then he you know, gave the chef's kiss whenever he talked. He said he'd be waiting five he'd been waiting 5 years for justice. Miss Hernan was killed in 2018. She was a compassionate, humble and very generous person he added. According to the criminal complaint, officials were called out to Miss Hernan's condo on October 3rd of 2018 after Kercheski called 911. Kercheski told officials her friend was not conscious or breathing. A responding officer Observed a large amount of crushed medication on Miss Hernan's chest and on a plate located on a table near her. A large amount of prescription bottles was also found near Ms. Hernan or Hernan. Uh, officials initially thought that the victim was or had overdosed from the medication. In January of 2019, the Waukesha County Medical Examiner reported that the victim had a fatal dose of tetrahydrazoline in her system, which is the main ingredients for eye drops. As a result, the medical examiner concluded that Ms. Hernan's manner of death was homicide. Okay.
2: That's got to take a whole bottle of eye drops, though. Have you ever done the joke where you put an eye drop or two in someone's beer and it just makes them sick? No. Yeah, I've seen that joke played, you know, watch yourself throw up, and it's, it's like 20 minutes later you get sick. That had to be the whole bottle of eye drops, and those are not big bottles either.
0: Really? No, I've never heard of that. Huh. Interesting. Weird, weird, weird. (laughs) I got to think, again, uh, a a lot of our listeners who have sent in stories this week. Tom, Tony, uh, and and all the gang. I I know I'm skipping some names here, but a lot of you have sent in stories for this week. I want to thank you and much appreciation for those of you who have sent in stories this week, including this story, Bruiser. Okay. Which I believe Tony sent this in. That's where he's going to hide. Or that's where he's going to (laughs) hide? It's a question mark. Golfers trap a police chase suspect in a porta potty.
2: Oh, well, thank you, golfers.
0: (laughs) Yeah, really, right? Two neighbors had just started a round of golf at Lincoln Golf Course, or Lincoln Park Golf Course, where they play some great music, by the way, in Glendale, Arizona, when they witnessed an arrest in a porta potty. (laughs) It was part of a scene that unfolded Wednesday in which two people were arrested after four occupants fled from a vehicle that crashed into multiple others on North Port Washington Road. Oh, I'm sorry. This is Glendale Police in Minnesota. Another Minnesota story. Another Minnesota
2: story, huh? I guess
0: the weather is nice enough now for us to get unruly. Uh, It's on North Port, Port Washington Road. A vehicle Glendale Police said was stolen from Plymouth, Minnesota. A Glendale police officer first spotted the stolen SUV driving south along Northport Washington Road around 11:30 a.m. Wednesday, Glendale Police Captain Tom Tredder said. Uh, Or it could be treat her, too. Treat her, you don't need her. Hey, uh, as the officer turned to approach the SUV, it took off. An officer further down the road put down tire deflation devices on the pavement. The vehicle swerved to avoid them and crossed into the northbound lanes of Port Washington Road, striking another car, then careening across the median and into a barrier uh, along adjacent Interstate 43. All four occupants fled the car, with two running east and two running west, across the Lincoln Park golf course. One of the suspects who ran east was taken into custody by Glendale Police uh, Whitefish Bay neighbors. Elisa Boland and Adam Westmayer were on the golf course when they heard the loud crash on Port Washington Road. (coughs) A few minutes later, they saw two people run past them, Boland said. They witnessed one of the suspects fleeing west, running towards the woods beside the course. The other beeline for the nearby porta potty," she said. "God, this sounds so Minnesotan." We're looking at each other like, "Are you serious? That's where he's going to hide?" Boland, a realtor in the area, said,
2: "Boy, there's a blatant." Oh, she called him out.
0: <laughs> like, really? Come on, dude. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to get caught.
2: Like, four look at this
3: jackass.
0: And <laughs> <laughs> then probably started hitting balls at the porta potty to give cops.
2: Uh, you we know. went and put a, a picnic table in front of the door. <laughs> <laughs> just a trap. Which them. is a lot of fun. If you ever go to a, a festival,
3: mm-hmm.
2: you know they got the a lot of porta potties. Yes. Yeah. Just put a chair or a picnic table in front of just one of them oh that's my occupied. God. Oh, so fun.
0: Especially in the middle of summer. That's just rank.
2: Well, I know. <laughs> oh.
0: The golfers watched a police car hurtle past them, and Westmeyer approached the porta potty. Finding the door locked, he walked to the back and pushed it over, trapping the suspect inside. <laughs> so it wasn't a self contained one. It, yeah. Okay. It came off its moorings like an old goalie net. Uh, trapping the suspect inside, since the door now faced the ground. Oh, he did. T- he it was, it yeah, was self contained.
2: Oh so shit. not only did they trap him, but now he's covered in just. Porta potty goo.
0: <laughs> Good luck, man, West said before walking away.
1: <laughs> oh my God. I am Porta potty,
2: man. <laughs> you entered my porta potty of doom. The police shall get you.
0: Once officers arrived at the scene, they rolled the portable toilet over, allowing the suspect to crawl out before he was taken into custody, Glendale police said. <laughs> Authorities are still searching for the other two suspects who fled from the SUV. You know, there's a story here locally on CARE 11 News that was talking about the fact that in the last 10 years, suspects that flee, based by county, are up almost 300%.
2: I believe it. People think they can run from the police now. You can't. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, you can't run. You just make it worse. And
0: throughout the metro area, it's gotten worse. Twin Cities metro area. specifically Hennepin and Ramsey counties, which are the Minneapolis St. Paul direct uh, counties. And they, I mean, they tried to put out stuff like, well, people are, are afraid to face the police. I don't buy that at all. I think what it is, is people think that they can get away with it. In fact, they had one, I believe it was a sheriff's deputy that was on Hennepin County Sheriff's deputy, who said that they, when they cornered a suspect, they said that they believe that the police don't have the right to chase you.
2: Yeah, I've the, heard that story, too. Yeah, that they're supposed Because around to let here, you it's, go. it's motorcycles. A lot of motorcycles speed off. And they heard that the, the thing was, oh, they can't chase you if you're on a motorcycle, which is not true. They no. can, but they have to factor in public safety. Yeah. Police can chase you no matter where you're at in the country. That's right. You run from the police, they can chase you. And if, if you get away from the, the run, they still know who you are. Right. <laughs> And it's not, still going to get you.
0: Not only that, but the other thing is they, they also believe some of these dumb criminals believe that when the police chase them, they don't have the right to do anything that could be potentially injurious. In other words, they can't lay down a, a strip, one of those spike right. strips, or they can't use a maneuver that will knock them into a ditch. That's not true.
2: No. If you're, in a, if you're in a car, they can use spike strips. They can use the pit maneuver. The only time they can't use that is when you're on a motorcycle. Because that that could be deadly. But that doesn't mean they're not going to chase you.
0: Right, right. They, they can do whatever they have to do to, to uh, uh, subdue you, and it doesn't matter what the charge is. Exactly. Once you're fleeing, you're, you're a suspect.
2: And nine times out of ten, they're pulling you over for a simple traffic stop. Yeah. You make it worse by running. That's right. That's right. You do. You do. Even, oh, because oh, no, I had a little bit of marijuana on me. No cops taking you to jail over a little marijuana. They're going to mm-hmm. write you a ticket, Yep. give you a summons, and the way that the courts are nowadays with 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 marijuana, they're just going to give you community service. Maybe pay a fine. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, the jails are too full to be busting people who are high on marijuana.
2: Exactly. Yeah. And that's nine times out of ten. That's why the people run. Yep. Yeah, the, it's
0: people who aren't experienced with, with the uh, criminal system. They just just aren't. This next story, again, submitted by our our wonderful listeners. I can't believe this. I'm I'm even reading this, but the headline itself is laughable. A Tennessee man is arrested for a DUI while driving Santa's train at a parade. Because Santa's got to be jolly, right?
2: You can't be drunk at a parade. (laughs) (laughs) No. That's normally the first thing that parade officials check for. Dude, I was drunk all the time, but I wasn't driving anything. I was just sitting on a float. They don't check for
0: that, but when you're driving <laughs> when you're driving in a parade, the parade officials generally check to see if you've had anything. Really? Yeah, it's not a breathalyzer, but they they generally take a good look at you to make sure you're not inebriated.
2: Santa's like, hey, I gotta be jolly, I had a shit week, so this is how I'm being <laughs> jolly. A
0: man has been arrested for driving a Santa's train under the influence at a parade in Tennessee. The unidentified man was reportedly a vendor at the Claiborne County Christmas Tractor Parade on November 11th. It's always a tractor bruiser. Always. It always is. According to the Tazewell Police Department, the man was giving youngsters rides throughout the town. I bet he was. Footage posted online showed a man driving a red tractor with multiple carriages bearing the words Santa Choo Choo. (laughs) Being spoken to by officers.
2: He mm-hmm. yeah, just, just can't trust the Santa anymore. You can't. Normally, it was just you can't trust mall Santas. They're the ones that are always drunk. Yeah. But now we got parade Santas, too. Come on, guys. You're ruining it for us.
0: That's right. The police department said later that the arrested individual faced charges of drug possession and driving under the influence. It is important to clarify that vendor hiring is not under the city's jurisdiction. Vendors are independently contracted, and their selection is not managed by the city, the department said in a statement. Despite this, the Tazewell Police Department responded swiftly to the incident, ensuring the safety of event te- attendees. The rapid action taken by our law enforcement underscores our commitment to public safety. Thousands of people had attended the event at the weekend. The department added that within the eighth mile radius of the parade, there were 14 police officers on foot patrol so they could <laughs> run down the tractor and beat him to death.
2: I was going to say a parade's the last place you want to commit a crime because every single police officer <laughs> in like the next three counties is there. That's true. Because every parade has a cop car and a fire truck.
0: <laughs> the statement also added, uh, public safety is paramount on any day at any time. And this event was no different. It is unfortunate, but the police officers did their job and protected everyone involved. By the way, if you're going to get drunk, give us a poll. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. They didn't say that last part. I'm just, just joking there
2: just don't do it with kids. <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. let the kids be, don't put the kids at risk.
0: Yeah. The kids are the last thing that need to be, uh, be put at risk during a parade. Just give them candy. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's not, but the only thing you're putting at risk there is teeth. <laughs>
2: exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just give them candy canes.
0: That's right. That's right. This next story, of course, is coming from Florida. And, Comes from our listeners as well. Florida teens break into a house. Now, of course, you think they're going for the money, they're going for the jewels, they're going for anything that's laying around, maybe your spare pills, whatever you got, right? Yeah. Or they're just going to party. Or going to party. Well, they ended up stealing an electric shock chewing gum toy. <laughs> They're aiming low, Bruiser.
2: Well, it was their fault that they broke into the local magician's house. It was <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> the magic shot, a uh, j- joking magic shot up on the road.
0: That's true. Deputies say things just happened. <laughs> <laughs> they just, just happened. <laughs> they just happened. We go to Marion County, Florida, where two Florida teens were arrested after they allegedly broke into a woman's house through a window and stole an electric shock chewing gum toy and a set of screwdrivers. The value of which is about $15.80. Yes. <laughs> 18-year-old Jeremiah Smith and a 17-year-old suspect were arrested and charged with residential burglary, petty theft, and criminal mischief after the incident that unfolded in the 2600 block of Northwest 110th Avenue in Ocala on Monday. Uh, ended horribly. <laughs> Fox 35 News is choosing not to name the other suspect due to his age and potential embarrassment at school.
2: <laughs> Deputies, hey, you're the kid that got busted because he shocked his
0: tongue. Hey, you want to see a, you want to see a disappearing magic act? Look, I'm going to walk away from you, nerd. <laughs> Deputies were dispatched to the home in Ocala where after a woman reported a burglary in progress in her at her house, uh, she said she saw two male suspects walking around her home on the home surveillance system. The woman was not at the home at the time of the alleged burglary. When deputies arrived, they saw the two teens walking down the driveway. They bolted into the nearby woods when they noticed the deputy. However, they ultimately came out and agreed to speak with deputies after being detained. The two teens had a backpack that contained a set of screwdrivers. An electric shock chewing gum prank toy still in their original packaging. Oh, at
2: least they didn't break the seal. Maybe it can still be re- returned to the magic yeah, shop. Like, hey, here, just take it back. Give it back to them. <laughs> Jesus. Hey man, I want a pack of gum. You want to take it? Yeah, sure. Let's go. That's what we're here for. Gotcha.
0: The homeowner said these items belong to her and are valued at $50, liar. <laughs> She also said the teens likely gained access through a large window they broke, which would cost $800 to fix. The window cost more than what they got. Exactly. The teens admitted to deputies they broke the window to get inside the home. They also said they were riding around on their dirt bikes when one of them ran out of gas. So, of course, they got to have it inside the house.
2: (laughs) Well, they were going to go pulling off the uh, electric gum to get gas money.
0: Ah, yes. And the spark from the electric gum would have restarted the bikes.
2: God. After they thought it would restart the bike.
0: After Smith ran back That's
2: home. That's not how that works.
0: Oh, okay. Sure. I don't know. Isn't that where the alternator is? I don't know. After Smith ran back home to get a gas can to fill up the bike, they decided to check out the woman's home after realizing nobody was home. Smith said they didn't go up to the victim's home to break in, but things just happened. God Smith has since been released after posting $14,000 bond. He'll learn from that. Oh, yeah. The custody status of the 17-year-old is unknown at this time because evidently his parents didn't want him back. <laughs> you embarrass his this family. His parents are like, really?
2: 50 bucks? Really?
0: <laughs> 800 to break a window? You're an embarrassment. <laughs> your Uncle Stu is doing life for murder. You're in there breaking windows.
2: Feel like your uncle. Next time you do it, mean, murder somebody.
0: <laughs> murder the guy for taking you in the house for fifty bucks. <laughs> we stay in Florida, where an armed Florida woman invaded her ex boyfriend's house while he was in the bathroom.
2: Oh yeah, that's the best time to invade. <laughs> that's right. Forget waiting for him to be at home. Wait till they're taking a nice healthy dump. <laughs> Catch him on the crapper. That's how you rob
3: <laughs>
0: I think that's a that's a rap song, isn't it? Catch him on the crapper, watch him while, <laughs> rob him while his friends watching. Yes, it is. Yeah, I think so. That was Biggie, if I remember right. A Florida woman has found herself behind bars after entering her ex boyfriend's house, threatening him with a gun and stealing cash from his dresser, according to the Flagler County Sheriff's Office. Thirty three year old Kiara Strickland. I'm going to show her your. I'm going to I'm going to show you her picture, Bruiser, and tell you, never date this woman right here. Ooh, yeah. She's yeah. crazy. She looks like she'd rob you on the crapper, doesn't she?
2: Yeah. she. Yeah. She's, she She's. Probably their first date, he's like, oh, I got to go to the bathroom. She's like, leave your wallet. Yeah. Huh?
0: What? He's like, I gotta go to the bathroom, baby. And she's like, I'm going to make note of that. <laughs> How long do
2: you poo? Okay, I can steal this.
0: She's got the cell phone out and she's timing him when he goes in.
2: I have this much
0: time. She's got the in and out <laughs> markers marked on the cell phone. 33-year-old Kiara Strickland was arrested and charged with home invasion robbery with a firearm after the incident that unfolded Tuesday in Palm Coast. At around 9.20 a.m., Strickland drove up to her ex-boyfriend's house with her three children in the car because if you can't show the kids how to do a good robbery while daddy's on the crapper, well, then, by God, you can't <laughs> teach the kids anything. That's part of homeschooling 101 right now, Bruiser. It is. There's your ABCs, your one two, threes. Your calculus, all that other crap. And then there's home invasions.
2: <laughs> and home invasions. That's is, part of the PE course, right?
0: That's right. That's part of PE. Home invasions while daddy's on the
2: crapper. Because <laughs> mama's got to get that rent somehow. We're going to play a joke on daddy. You all stay in the car. I'll be right back because he's pooping. This is how mama gets child support. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding.
0: But ladies, don't try that at home. I'm not saying try that at home if you're not getting child support. (laughs) I don't think that that's how you get it. Strickland, uh, oh, my God. So she had her two daughters in the back seat. Well, her son was in the front seat. So, by the way, that's how you stack them if you're uh, going to take them over for the home invasion.
2: Okay. Yeah. What are we doing, Mommy? Well, your father just decided to take a dump. Oh, okay, Mommy. Now what? You children wait here. I'll be right back. I have to go get diaper money. <laughs> Daddy's a whack-ass hoe. He don't pay his child support. <laughs> Mama gonna go
0: get this money. <laughs>
2: hey, somebody here? Hey, I heard something. I'm pooping. <laughs> I'm pooping. Somebody here?
0: Just stay on the toilet, baby. Everything's Okay. <laughs> If you don't stay on that toilet, I'm gonna put a new hole in it. <laughs> Strickland allegedly grabbed a black semi-automatic pistol from the passenger seat, the same area
2: where her son was sitting. He was. Uh, honey, can you can you hand me that nine millimeter? Thank you, mm-hmm. thank you so much, dear. Okay. Oh, you're so you don't play with these. You don't play <laughs> with these, but you give them to mommy.
0: You don't touch the safety. He was literally riding shotgun. <laughs>
2: <laughs> mommy, where are you going with the gun? Daddy and I have to have a conversation. <laughs> That's
0: right. uh, And then she made her way inside the home. The door was unlocked for an uninvolved friend, the report said.
2: Oh, okay. So Daddy was two-timing and not paying that support. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, i got to get a good old dump out of here before my mistress shows up. That's right.
0: You had to clear the beach before the fun began. Yeah. <laughs> Strickland's boyfriend was in the bathroom when he heard the front door open, but he didn't know who it was until
2: Strickland appeared in his bedroom. She then said... She didn't hear the flush and be like, oh, I got to get out of here. He's all done.
0: No, no, no. She then asked him while pointing a gun at him, you got anything for me?
2: <laughs> yeah, I just flushed it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I think he said uh, uh and then ran back in the bed bathroom and and did a second dump. Uh, he said no. Strickland made her way to the top left drawer of his dresser and grabbed between 50 and 100 bucks in cash. She knew he kept cash in his drawer.
3: Then <laughs> what's this? Huh?
2: What's this? Uh my going out money? <laughs> like, what are you doing? What's that? Evidently that's yours. <laughs> <laughs>
0: The two were in a short-term romantic relationship that ended in September. Uh, Strickland and her three children lived at the home, but haven't so been... They're a,
2: not even his kids. Oh, they were under <laughs> his roof. Get, she's trying to get child money from, uh, from not baby daddy. That's right. They <laughs> were saying you take care of us no matter what. That they were
0: under his roof. They his kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Strickland and her three children lived at the home But haven't been in contact since her relationship ended The man has since changed the locks Probably a good idea And probably start using the locks
2: Yeah, and start uh, pooping with the door open That's right
0: After Strickland grabbed the cash She got in her car and sped off According to deputies Deputies also caught up with Strickland's son at school According to the affidavit I think you're in for some CPS violations, lady Just saying
2: uh, Excuse me, son Is it true that you handed your mother this gun? Yes, officer, Why? Well, we're gonna under we're gonna have to arrest you for aiding and abetting in a crime. <laughs> You're also, going to preschool jail.
3: I also know how to load it and how to put the safety on.
2: <laughs> Mommy said, "Always hand it to her with the safety on. Safety first. It's not a toy." <laughs>
0: He said his mom drove him directly to school that morning. She was being responsible.
2: And gave me 50 bucks for lunch. I said, Mom, what am I going to do with 50
0: bucks? She said, wash it through the school. I have no idea what that means, officer, but... Hmm. Uh... (laughs) He said his mom drove him directly to school that morning but appeared to be nervous and scared while speaking to law enforcement, the affidavit added. The boy's attendance pass had an entry time of 9.32 a.m. Ring camera surveillance from er, from neighbors was in line with the victim and witness accounts, the affidavit also went on to say. An arrest warrant was issued and Strickland was found at her house in Palm Coast. was placed under arrest. A search warrant was served in the gun and stolen cash was also recovered. Strickland was ultimately admitting to the crime and was transported to the Sheriff Perry Hull inmate detention facility where she remains on or held without bond. So there you go. Okay.
3: Yeah.
0: Oh, boy. They didn't
2: arrest the kid, huh?
0: No, 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 no. no. Kid, kid was cleared. But I hear he was he was cheeking the extra 25 that she stole. <laughs> He's a good kid does as he's He's told. He's
2: making sure mommy has something when she gets out.
0: That's right. Mama's got to have a little extra spending money when she gets out of the the stir. (laughs) We move on. A forklift operator stops a car thief by lifting a vehicle 20 feet in the air.
2: Good for him. That, see, I'm okay with this.
0: Yeah. A quick-thinking forklift operator stopped a would-be car thief in Ohio. Workers at Arlington Auto Wrecking were ready when Alexander Funk showed up at the junkyards to steal a car. Employee said this was the third incident involving funk. You can't fake the funk, especially on a master dunk. That's what I hear. (laughs)
3: Exactly. Yeah.
0: He broke into a car at the junkyard, and before he could get out, he's done it before. (laughs)
2: That's a run. Why would you break into a car at the junkyard? How do you know it's going to run?
0: Ah, faith, brother,
2: faith. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, ah, shit, this one's not working. Next one. Ah, shit, this one's not working.
0: (laughs) That's why you bring the electric shock gum. Ah. yeah you <laughs> could start right. anything with electric shotgun I'm telling you uh, he says they got like the forklift and they had him like I'm not kidding like 20 feet off the ground so when they got there we went right into custody an employee said <laughs> that's a direct quote too while Funk was allegedly trying to steal the car the forklift operator lifted the car up trapping Funk about 20 feet in the air the workers then called 911 and the operator had a laugh when they heard the suspect had been caught.
2: I'm glad they found some humor in it. I would. If I would have shown up, there's a guy up there. Hey, you can arrest me, slide me down, I'm afraid of heights. Hmm.
0: <laughs> I would have taken that seriously, Bruiser. Oh
2: yeah? You would have been like, Well, why
0: not? Well, let's let him down.
2: <laughs> I'm kidding, I would have left
0: him up there. Let him <laughs> shit himself. Wonderful, that's the greatest thing I've ever heard, the 911 operator said. We will get somebody out to you. And then they laughed and laughed and laughed. When officers finally showed up, the forklift lowered the car to the ground and Funk was taken into custody. He was charged with criminal trespassing and possessing criminal tools (laughs) and being a criminal tool. (laughs) Um, I don't know why the guy didn't just, well, I suppose... Depending on how they lifted them up, if they went, you know, if they just went under the car and lifted them up or if they went through the window and lifted them up, why you didn't just crawl out of the car on top of the car and climb down the forklift?
2: (laughs) Because there's someone in the forklift who might like dump me on my head. (laughs) You know how quickly those things can tilt forward and dump something?
0: No, true, I guess. But
2: no offense. I don't want to get into a fight on a forklift.
0: Yeah, but that's the stuff movies are made of, man.
2: (laughs) That's true. He should have Jason Statham that whole thing.
0: Yeah, he should have Jason Statham that, you know, just get out of there. We are almost to the not safe for work portion of our program, folks. We're one story away. This is like the monster at the end of the book. We're letting you know that it's coming up.
2: (laughs) There's a monster at the end of this book.
0: That's right. So steal yourself, kids. S-T-E-L yourself. Uh, It's coming. And boy, when I say it's coming, it's coming. Um, it's it's a it's a raucous ride today at the end of the show. Oh, okay. Yeah, so prepare yourself. i am prepare. Yeah, so uh, get ready to turn down those listening devices. Get ready to pop your earbuds in. Get ready to get the kids out of the room or the boss <laughs> out of the room. It is going to be obnoxious today.
3: That's all I got to <laughs> say.
0: But first, this story. Now, we've warned you before Kids, don't call 911 about your stolen drugs. No, never. Don't call 911 to get your drugs purified. Don't call 911 no. to have the police involved in your stolen drugs whatsoever. But yet, bruiser, right. there's another woman who looks like she doesn't know any better.
2: She looks like completely naive to the world.
0: Doesn't she look like um, Sally Suburb?
2: <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes, she does.
0: Who's called into the police. And told cops about her pinched pot.
2: (laughs) I hate when my pot gets (laughs) pinched.
0: Again, folks, for the umpteenth time, do not call the police to report that someone has stolen your drugs. (laughs) Especially if your name is on a pair of outstanding arrest warrants.
2: Oh, God, yeah. You should know. Yeah.
0: Cops were dispatched around 2 a.m., On the 16th of November. (laughs) To a Best Western in Stewart, Florida. Of course. In reference to a theft. (laughs) And it just gets better. Okay. Upon arriving at the hotel, an officer spoke with 23-year-old Lily Rinker. Yes, her name's Lily. And she can't believe her pot's been stolen.
3: Someone stole my pot.
0: Who had called 911 to report that a male friend that she had met last week stole her marijuana. Oh, Lily. Lily.
3: They stole my weed. Officer. Officer. I I have to report a theft. It seems someone has stolen my marijuana. I'm just wondering how fast you can get here. I've got a description of it. (laughs) <laughs> it's brownish green and it's very, very leafy. It's the dankiest of the dank, <laughs> and it was the stickiest of the icky. It was so, so sweet.
2: And it I'm was just, the Maui of the Hawaii.
3: It's the Mauiest of the Hawaii. I'm just wondering if you can get it back for me. I, the whole reason I checked into this Best Western is because I just wanted to go on a bender, and it's hard to go on a bender when you don't have any weed. We were gonna smizzoak the this, isn't it? If you know what I mean. So if you, he said he said puff puff pass, so I puff puff passed and he took off. And that motherfucker. That's not how it for, goes. That motherfucker ran for the hilts. So I'm just. Wondering. It was puff puff, see a bitch, and I don't know why you called <laughs> me a bitch. I'm not a bitch, niche. I listen to my hip hop. Those warrants. Let's ignore those. Let's get my weed. Then we'll deal with the warrants later. So I'm wondering if I call a popo, will you slow, slow his ass (laughs) down and just get my weed back, please? That'd be great. Yeah.
0: Upon arriving at the hotel, an officer spoke with 23-year-old Lily Rinker, who had called 911 to report that a male friend she met last week stole her marijuana. (laughs) Of course. Rinker explained that she had $30 worth of pot, so it was the good stuff. Oh, yeah. In her grinder. But after Carlos departed the room, (laughs) she noticed about a half a gram was missing from her stash. Who buys half a gram of weed for 30 bucks?
2: I think she had more.
0: Uh, Who buys more than half a gram of weed for 30 bucks?
2: (laughs) I don't know, man.
0: That shit's going to give you a head. She bought oregano.
2: Yeah, she should. Like, Florida's. You can be medical, right? It's medical, I think. So just find someone in the medical card, get the good stuff.
0: I don't think Florida's medical yet.
2: I don't you don't think so? No. Either way, find somebody to get you the good stuff. It's everywhere now.
0: So about a half a gram was missing from her stash. Rinker <laughs> stated she did not know what to do, so she decided to call police. I think if they were medical, she wouldn't have called police.
2: You think she would have
0: She would have just went down to the dispensary and got more.
2: True. Yeah.
0: Rinker, whose home address is listed as an apartment complex in Jupiter, was questioned by a Stewart Police Department officer who determined that she had a pair of open arrest warrants in Palm Beach County. (laughs) Mm. According to court records, one warrant was issued after Rinker failed to show for court hearings in connection with an outstanding criminal mischief case. The second came after Rinker did not appear on a probation violation hearing in connection with a DUI conviction earlier this year. Rinker is being held without bond on the warrants. It's unclear if she will face a pot charge in the free state of Florida where absent a medical marijuana card, possession of less than... Oh, it is a medical state.
2: So it is medical, okay. Uh,
0: Possession of less than 20 grams is a misdemeanor. More than that amount can constitute a felony. Rinker was arrested last year for allegedly striking her father in the face during an argument. Nice gal. Uh, Rinker told (laughs) cops she became upset upon learning that her parents had posted online a photo of her holding a vape. Rinker noted that she is a college athlete and could not be seen holding a vape. Then what are you calling the cops about your stolen weed for? (laughs) Prosecutors.
2: He doesn't know. Oh Jesus!
0: Prosecutors declined to pursue a battery case against Drinker, who played golf for the University of Cincinnati and Eastern Florida State College. So let of me course. let me guess: the weed cleared up your glaucoma, so you could see the 18th hole better. <laughs> Jesus. All right, folks, it's that time. It's time now for. The not safe for work portion of our program, turn down your listening devices, put your earbuds in, get the kids out of the room while you're listening to this program with kids. I have no idea. (laughs) Parent of the year you are. Uh, Let's let's get this going in five, four, three, two. Here we go. Cops have arrested a man for a lewd act done atop a dead marsupial. Oh, we're starting it off big.
2: Yeah, we are.
0: Mhm.
2: Hey, that uh, that koala bear. Hey, how you doing over there? Well, you're dead, huh? <laughs> Kuala you
0: okay? bear.
2: It's a marsupial. Koala bear is a marsupial. Yeah. Really? I thought they were. Somebody mm. can correct me, but I thought they were. All right. Hey, hey, kangaroo. What you got in your pouch there? <laughs> kangaroo. <laughs> oh, you're- you're, you're dead, huh? We're, oh, we're, yeah. we're staying in Let me, in a, feel, what, let me feel what that feels like.
0: <laughs> we're, we're staying in America, bruiser. We're not going overseas.
2: This took what my, more? A possum? A possum's a marsupial. Yes, right? there we go. A possum. <laughs> Thank you. I know you're just playing dead. Come here. Come here. <laughs> I know you Oh, yeah. <laughs> I know you're just playing dead. Play dead. Play dead. I said, play dead. Yes. <laughs> In the, you know, like when I stroke your tail. Oh, yeah, you're, you're no, oh, come dead. on, you're no, dead. no. Wait, you're really dead? Oh, shit. Oh, no, no, no.
0: <laughs> in the long-storied history of American jurisprudence, these words have never been previously appearing in a police report or court filing. Here we go. The defendant was observed defecating on a deceased opossum with his pants lowered and his anal region exposed.
2: Because, you know, shitting at a dead possum is a new fad. It's a new TikTok trend. (laughs) Yes, it is.
0: Well, it's better than dancing. You don't ruin your knees.
2: (laughs) Well, yeah, all that squatting. (laughs) It's
0: the new squatty potty. The defendant was observed. Oh, I don't want to read it twice. Uh, That unusual and repulsive incident transpired around 5.30 p.m. on the 16th in full view of the motoring public during busy traffic times on a street, of course, in Clearwater, Florida.
2: You gotta go. You gotta go. need <laughs> he pull over? Why? I gotta shit. There's nothing around. There's a possum. I'll shit on the possum.
0: Forty-five-year-old Rudy Wilcox, now known
2: as the Possum Shitter. Oh, he looks like a possum shitter, and I guarantee you, he's a meth head. Yep. Yeah, he looks You like don't him. get scabs like that on your skin without doing meth.
0: That's right. That unusual and repulsive incident is what police allege that 45-year-old Rudy Wilcox was observed by an officer doing, relieving himself upon the late marsupial as rush-hour traffic passed by, Bruiser.
2: Yep. Yeah. You gonna show them what for.
0: Yep. Zach, excuse me why I shit on this possum. <laughs> After being read his rights, Wilcox denied the allegations and contended that the officer doesn't see straight.
2: Wait, what? Yes. That won't be me shitting. You can't even see straight.
0: However, as the affidavit states, physical evidence was viewed at the scene, which corroborates the allegations alleged. <laughs> In other words, oh, I see straight, son. That shit on a possum.
2: <laughs> I may not see straight, but I smell. And that's a dead possum with your shit on it.
0: That's right. I don't think a possum shit's that big. <laughs> At this point, readers, viewers, listeners, whatever you are, you may commence to gagging. <laughs> Wilcox was arrested for exposure of sexual organs and misdemeanor and booked into the county jail on a $150 bond. That's it. He remains behind bars as of this writing. Evidently didn't have the $150 to literally cover his shit. <laughs> That's
2: an expensive shit. Yeah,
0: it is. But by the way, when he gets out, he 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 has a Charmin endorsement. <laughs>
2: <laughs> he shit he shit on a, a possum, not a bear.
0: <laughs> As the dog answers in the background,
2: "Don't use me." <laughs> Right. You no, know, she's probably barking, I've shit on possums before, it's fun. <laughs> it's fun, you gotta try it sometime, Dad.
0: Um, I'm gonna show you this picture right here.
2: Is she crying?
0: I think she's smiling, she's weeping with joy.
2: Now It looks like a forced smile, like you're being arrested, don't be sad. That's okay. right, don't be sad,
0: don't cry, don't cry. It could be tears of joy, though, and I'm gonna tell you why in a second. Now, I want you to look at her carefully, Bruiser, would you? No. Okay, alright. That's a man. No, 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 the The woman. The woman. Yeah, the woman's a man. No, you think so? Look at her neck. No, I, I could have a dirty iPad. I'm
2: just saying. <laughs> uh, you just mixed at, everyone no, uh, confusing trans women <laughs> by just cleaning your iPad. <laughs> Take a look again. I, I could. No, I, I wouldn't. I would not. You. Nope. Okay, no, okay. 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 Nope. No. Okay. No. She's. She's still too manly for me. Okay. Okay.
0: All right. So this next story (laughs) may throw you for a loop then. (laughs) (laughs) That was an awkward transaction between the two of us here before I read this story. But funny, very funny. Yes. Let me read the headline. First, I got to take a sip of something because I just (laughs) (laughs) blew my throat
2: out. That's what she said. That's a trans woman. No. Yeah, that's a trans woman. I think think so? so? Yep. Think so? Yep. Well, let's
0: find out. A couple is arrested for a fully nude Florida frolic.
2: Well, if you're we gonna go fully nude, why not go Florida? Weather's well, great.
0: It's true. It is. It's highly illegal, though.
2: A well, fi- yeah, <laughs> I didn't <laughs> say it was legal. <laughs> Shitting on possums is illegal, but I ain't stopping that guy.
0: <laughs> a 55-year-old woman has said she's dreamt of public sex. You're gonna you're gonna laugh when I tell you where, though.
2: Okay. Like, public sex is fun, but you got to hide it.
0: Well, and you got to pick the right spot. And yeah. the, the spot she picked, mm, let's just say she's watched one too many Godfather films. Okay. After being caught having fully nude sex on a Florida causeway, look what they've done to my boy. <laughs> um, I just think of Sonny being shot down by the causeway every time I read this story. <clears throat> After being fully caught... Fully caught having fully nude sex on a Florida causeway in front of children and other witnesses. A woman told cops it was always a dream of mine to engage in such a public tryst while her male companion showed zero remorse when collared.
2: Yeah, because he got, you know, he's like, hey, I got off. (laughs) I I slipped it in, no big deal. What, now you're taking me someplace where I get fed? Awesome! Awesome!
0: Hickory dickory dock. He needed the money. (laughs) After receiving multiple 911 calls around 9 p.m. on Friday, sheriff's deputies responded to the causeway in Dunedin, a Gulf Coast city, and discovered a couple having fully nude sexual intercourse in the presence of the victims, which included a pair of juveniles who were probably going... Look for the Adam's apple. Look for the Adam's apple. <laughs> Much like Bruiser just did. Can we go partial nude? Let's do partial nude. <laughs> yeah. We don't need
2: full nude. Partial. Hey, old folks, you're too pruney for this. You're too pruny. Hey, man, $10 a month. Planet Fitness. Look it up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God.
0: Oh, for the love of God. Um, on the side of the causeway, cops found 55-year-old Sarah Fazakis. And 60 year old Robert Clark, fully nude on top of one another. Are you sure he wasn't pinning her? <clears throat> he won. <laughs> he won. Uh, Clark's Clark, cops say, was on his back with his genitals fully exposed. Evidently, she won. <laughs> Meanwhile, the mother is on the side of the road going, They're just making peanut butter sandwiches.
2: <laughs> you think when the cops showed up, the guy put up a finger and went, Hold it. Hold. <laughs> Uh, okay, come arrest us. <laughs> yeah, and I'm good.
3: <sighs>
0: I don't know why I made that second noise. <laughs> um a, a witness or wetness uh described the pair's encounter as crack to sack going to town.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and it's in the arrest report. As that.
2: Hey, man. His schmecker was going crack to sack. Like, it was great.
0: (laughs) Crack to sack, going to town. Fizekas and Clark, both of whom purchased Florida condos in 2021, are, let's just say, a little randy. Uh, While being taken into custody, Fizekas stated, this was always a dream of mine, referring to having sexual intercourse on the causeway. What, What
2: a weird dream.
0: She says, surrounded by water, the causeway offers spectacular views of Saint Joseph Sound.
2: It sure does. He just ruined it. (laughs) Some kids never gonna be able to go to the causeway again without getting interaction. Some kid's gonna start having tremors every time he sees the St. Joseph Sound. (laughs) He's going to walk up and be like, oh, we're in St. Joseph's. Why is my wiener tingling? <laughs> <laughs> All I see is floppy tits and sack to crack. <laughs>
3: sack to crack. <laughs> There's schmeckles
2: everywhere. Schmeckles schmeckles.
0: Along with an exposure of a sexual organs count. <laughs> yeah, they counted. There were two. <laughs> Uh, Fazakis was hit with a felony narcotics charge after cops oh, found clonazepam k- pills. It's clonazepam, yes, w- inside an Altoids container in her purse. Evidently, she needed to get relaxed to get him up. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, she was freed from custody Saturday after posting $2,150 bond. Clark cops say showed zero remorse that multiple juveniles had witnessed the act. He also reportedly declared that the children should be at home and not on the causeway. <laughs>
2: <laughs> don't they know, I'm fucking here. Come on, get out of here. I'm hey. having some
0: sex. Hey. I'm sticking it to the whatever this is over here.
2: Huh? Look at that. We're sack the crack in this. What you doing here, huh?
0: <laughs> sack the crack. Grounding and pounding, you know what I mean?
2: Get a job, you hippies.
0: This is just, uh, I'm, 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 I'm cracked a sack going to town here, huh?
2: Aren't you supposed to be in school? It's Saturday. Go to detention! Oh! <laughs> oh! Back in my day, we went to school seven days a week.
0: It's the least you could do. Hey, if you're not learning in school, learn when I do this to her, huh? Here's a new move for you. Go tell your parents about this one. If they would have done this one, you wouldn't have been born.
2: Here, kids, take these pills. Chill out, all right? right? take it all This
0: will take an edge off your trauma. <laughs> uh, by the way, in case you were wondering, Clark is a registered sex offender who pleaded guilty in 2009 to a federal child pornography charge.
2: Of course. So the kid,
0: there it is. The kids probably shouldn't be around.
2: Nope. He's probably like, hey, those kids should just stay you up. Know, be with us. No, man, they shouldn't.
0: No, they shouldn't stick around for round two.
2: Nope, lock that guy up.
0: Uh, at the time of his arrest, Clark was a civilian Department of Defense employee stationed in Japan. But they kind of have those kinks. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. A search of his work computer turned up a series of illicit images, which Clark admitted he viewed for self-gratification. Oh,
2: lock this mother up.
0: This effing pig. After copying to the felony count, court records show Clark contended that the child porn images were to him a fantasy world and that he would never, ever cross the line to hurt any child.
2: You already crossed the line, man.
0: Yeah, the minute you downloaded, you crossed it. Yep. Sentenced to 78 months in prison, Clark was also ordered to serve a life term of probation following his release from custody.
3: Good. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Sacked a crack. I will not eat lunch now. (laughs) I've lost my appetite for the afternoon. Just saying. And our final story for today. If you thought that was bad bruiser, buckle up, buttercup, because it only gets better.
2: We're going for a public ride.
0: (laughs) So to speak. First of all, I'm going to show you the picture. Well, he's angry. (laughs) A little bit, especially when I tell you what he did. All right. So you're familiar with the state of Iowa.
2: Oh, yeah, of course.
0: Are you familiar with a certain, um, let's just say a certain convenience store chain that's got an unusual name?
2: (laughs) Yeah, I think I have a hat with it somewhere around here. Starts with a K. Yep. Has an and in it. Yep. Yep. Go is the
0: final. Mm hmm.
2: Yes, sir. Well, one man took it literally. Oh, geez. (laughs) (laughs) And the man you just saw in that picture. He left some children at the gas station? Yes, he did. Yeah. He's like, here's my DNA I'm leaving. (laughs) Yep. Instead of
0: leaving his wallet behind and a credit card, he left a little bit of himself behind. A man pleasured himself, then departed from a come-and-go store.
2: Oh, he took it as a a suggestion, not a a name of a business, huh? (laughs) It was a command. really? This is what I do here. Okay, hold on.
0: (laughs) It was a command, not a store name. (laughs) An Iowan pleasured himself outside a come-and-go store and then departed for his nearby apartment, according to an indecent exposure complaint filed following his arrest this past week.
2: It was really good gas station pizza. I guess so, right?
0: (laughs) According to cops, victims called nine one one to report that an unknown male had said sexual things to them and then began masturbating in their presence, while outside the convenience in front of them. Okay, yeah, he just said, "Take
2: a look." (laughs) Hey, you guys say come and go. Here we go. (laughs) Here we go. Uh, He then began ring ring that up the yeah, yeah, beef jerky. Put the beef jerky up. Yeah, ring the beef jerky up.
0: <laughs> yeah, ring the beef jerky up.
2: Wait, wait. Slow down that card. Slow the slide down slow. Okay, there we go. There we go. Yep, there we go. <laughs> A fountain drink? Hold on. Slow pour it. Slow. Slower. <laughs> <laughs> it's gushing out of the fountain. Gushing.
0: I don't know if I can continue the story. (laughs) (laughs) He continued. (laughs) He did, didn't he? Uh, So according to the cops, victims called 911 to report that an unknown male had said sexual things to them and began masturbating in their presence while outside the convenience store in Iowa city. After a police canvas near the come and go officers identified 54 year old Kenneth Lee Kelly. Good for you, buddy. You can still get it up.
2: (laughs) It's always been his dream to jerk off at a come and go.
0: <laughs> I'm sure Nike's happy, too, because he went to the station in a Nike hoodie.
2: And you know just what? do it. Yeah, that's right. I was going to say, you know what their slogan is, right? Uh, just, he's literally taking everybody's slogan as word, as like, what you do. That's right. Oh, I got to come and go, just do it? <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, he's a suspect,
0: Kenneth Lee Kelly is, in the public pleasure session. Multiple subjects from come and go, neighboring businesses and apartments identified the defendant as the subject in the photo. Evidently, he's been leaving a seat everywhere. (laughs) Contacted at home, Kelly denied he was the individual captured on surveillance video. Kelly, however, confirmed he had clothing that matched the video and showed police a hat that was an identical match to the one worn by the suspect during the deed earlier this year. A search warrant at Kelly's apartment resulted in the seizure of garments that matched surveillance and traffic camera video from the incident. Oh, God, there's traffic camera video. <laughs> Additionally, a photo lineup was conducted, and victims independently identified Kelly as the 1230 a.m. come-and-go masturbator. He has a handle now.
2: Yes, he does.
0: Mm. Kelly was arrested Thursday and booked into the jail for indecent exposure, a serious misdemeanor that's in quotes for which bond has yet to be set. When questioned by police, Kelly reportedly claimed he wasn't exposing himself, but instead he was just scratching his genitals over and over (laughs) and over and over and over and over and over and over and over. Kelly's rap sheet includes convictions for felonious theft, which is my jazz name, uh, (laughs) narcotics possession, driving without a license, and marijuana possession. I didn't know marijuana made you frisk yourself over and over and over again.
2: I've never done that on marijuana, so Mm you never know. Come and go's never done it for me either, so. No,
3: I've
0: never walked into a come and go and come and left. (laughs) (laughs) So there you go, Bruiser. That's Dumb Crime, Stupid Criminals for today. woo So I know you got a lot going on, but just tell us again briefly what's going on this weekend.
2: Well, I'm not going to come and go. Um, we <laughs> have Russell weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Uh, all the details are on darknessradioshow.com. Um, it, all three days are all-day events. There's four shows, uh, meet and greets, uh, podcasts. Uh, we hang out afterwards and drink beer it's, just, it's a good time Yeah, and I'm coming back Saturday and Sunday
0: there you go and I'll be watching on title match network again go to darknessradioshow.com slash events and you can sign up for title match network it's just $9.99 a month with that uh, by, the, by the way just don't stop with one month of title match network you can watch AML Wrestling which is the home for Beer City Bruiser and you can watch the events there
2: yeah. Every single one stream down there.
0: That's right. So uh, I'll be doing that. I'll be watching that. I am. I don't believe I'm at KNSI this weekend. I have to switch some stuff around because December 2nd, yours truly, uh, will be in Shoreview, Minnesota for okay. an event there. And you can see that event and figure out how you can come see me in Minneapolis uh, at an event. See me speak there and come out and see me uh, on December 2nd on Saturday for a one-day paranormal event here in Minneapolis. Um It's on the event page as well. So uh, as a matter of fact, here, I'll tell you what the event is. I just don't have it memorized because, you know, too many hits to the head bruiser. uh, (laughs) You can relate there. Um, But, uh, yeah, there's a one-day event coming to Minneapolis that I'll be hosting. And you can can join us. It's just a $5 admission uh, for the event. And just come on out. Say hi to me. I speak at 1030 in the morning. And... It's, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, it is called Enchanted Expo with a Twist in Winter Wonderland. It is December 2nd. It is in Shoreview in Minnesota at the Shoreview Community Center. Uh, again, it's $5 to get in. And uh, I will be hosting the event. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be a good time. So, uh, also, Jessica Freeberg from the show here will be there as well. She'll be there with... Uh, Natalie Fowler, and she'll be speaking as well. The two of them will be speaking. Uh, and also uh, Sherry Meyer, Psychic Medium, will be there. And Randy Hoyt will be there, who is the, an artist and intuitive artist as well. It's a one-day uh, event. And again, just $5 admission. Uh, There's lots of holistic, metaphysical things going on. Lots of paranormal, holistic, and metaphysical vendors will be there as well. It's going to be a good time. One-day event there, December 2nd. Very cool. So you can just go to uh, com for Bruiser's events, for my event, and check out the events page. Figure out how you can see us both. Very cool. All right. So that'll do it for today's show. We'll see you tomorrow. Supernatural news. And then Thursday, Lon Strickler will be talking cryptids and different monsters. That's coming up this week. For Beer City Bruiser, I'm Tim Dennis. Thank you so much for tuning in today for True Crime Tuesday. We'll see you tomorrow for Darkness Radio, right here on The Big Show.